Italian uncle. I had an uncle Mike. I feel that most people do. Hey, um, I'm Uncle Mike. But I had an <laughs> Exactly. And he was like <laughs> five foot one. And his hands were like the size of like they were like actual little Hulk hands. Yeah. His yard was where cars went to die. And he was like allergic to everything under the sun, super asthmatic, smoked cigars day in and day out. <laughs> and he took me to a jazz club one time when I first moved up to Philly, my freshman year in college. And I drove to New York, and we went to a uh, um, jazz club in New York. I don't remember where in New York it was, but it was fucking fabulous. Fantastic time. Could not recommend enough. <laughs> I feel like um, I feel like every time. So like, not not recently, obviously, with everything that's been going on. But there was mm-hmm. there was a time where um, I know my my gay uncle really wanted to take me to like one of his favorite like uh speakeasies essentially mm-hmm. like in, nice. in the back i know that there was one in the back of like a um like a coffee shop you know mm-hmm. and uh they they he always would tell me about like how awesome the drinks were and everything and he uh he would go on about the atmosphere and how much he loved just just going in to go to that place and i i never got to go with him but I always had the assumption that, like, my uncle would get dressed up, like, in all black, and he'd, like, show up, like, he'd be that motherfucker who wears glasses in, at night, and, or yes. sunglasses at night, and he, like, walks into that place and, like, lights up a cigarette and just sits in the back corner while some woman is, like, sat Indian style, like, on the stage, and she's just, yes. like, she's wearing a light, red dress. dark, the rhythm of life. We are <laughs> together as we are separated. And I just like, and part of me is just like, yeah, I really want to get into that like really stereotypical jazz club bullshit. <laughs> Do it. And then they just, and then they just come in slowly with like, I don't know, like a fucking flute. <laughs> Riddly do. <laughs> Maybe yeah, you I'm have a future it. as a lounge singer. <laughs> oh. I used to. I I could. I, used to think I could fucking do it. Someday. I'll put on my Frank Sinatra voice and we'll fucking we'll we'll rock that place. I can sing I'll see in if accents. I can pull out some like anyone, real anyone who bullshit. has heard any accent on this show, I can sing in it and it will happen. So um, you you can perform a real sultry, a real sultry. Voice. Yeah, I'll do my best. I'll do real sultry like, but it always oh, comes yeah. out southern. I don't know why. It's the Southern Comfort. (laughs) 
Yeah, true. There's like a thousand kinds of southern accents, though. That's like the southern gentry. I grew up more around like the Boomhauer type southern. Where they're yeah. like, get that goddamn dog, get go off the dog in the fan, she's run away, get that fucking dog off, get guy up my fucking car, damn it, dog. That was perfect. Oh. I could tell from yeah. experience. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Good people. Sometimes. <laughs> As is with most people. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> yes, Sometimes. most people are good most, some of the times. <laughs> <laughs> what's that fucking meme like it do, do, has anyone ever decided as to go more up, like something like that <laughs> it's just worth salad yeah it's like that kid uh i always liked <laughs> i always liked the uh the meme response where it's like the girl asks if you want to like go out and it's just the one kid who's just like and then she, and then I, and and I wanted, and she told me, and I, and we could, and I want to, and and you know I, and then we did, and and she, and it, and it was nice, <laughs> you know. <laughs> me telling any story ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, oh I needed this. This is the first laugh I've had all week. Uh, That's me. I'm, I got Cannibal jokes. Siren, you have me. You have me under a spell. So I've been really looking forward to reading this fucking story. It's been like something like a week or two since we read the first part, but like people don't see that because recording no. is different than airing. And <laughs> these are gonna air back to back weeks, so we don't have to do a catch up. We don't even really have to get into it. We can uh, talk some bullshit and then just run into the story whenever we want. So is there yes. um, is there anything that that got you thinking, you know, about this story during the time that that we've been, you know, waiting to record part two? So I've actually been thinking about it a lot because I was just like, because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, as a self-proclaimed Frady cat, everything scares me. Uh And so I read this story, right, with you, and I was like, wow, that was fucking scary. And then literally directly after it, I finally watched the movie uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Oh, nice. And it scared the shit out of me. The The, ever-loving shit. The PG-13 one. (laughs) Yes, the PG-13 one. I said what I fucking said. I thought that me. I thought that was really good. I thought that was a pretty good execution. I mean, the the plot is a little all over the place, but for the most part, yeah. that for the most part they toe the line of what is acceptable for horror for for children. You know, like I would actually say, I'll tell um, you, I'll the creepi- tell you what the I was watching that for shit me and was I was the, like... uh, the the girl in the basement, the girl who was stuck in the house the entire time. Whenever that ghost would really? pop up, I'd be like, I'd be like, oh. I didn't like her face. See, I, I didn't give one fuck about her. I oh, was you like, didn't give a fuck. <laughs> okay, no, whatever, don't care. Some fucking some bitch with bleached hair, fine. I'll go out and like if if Corona ever ends, I can go out on a Friday night and see a thousand chicks that look just like that. I'm not worried about that. <laughs> it's like I've seen plenty of bad dye jobs in my life. That's fine. <laughs> what, Literally what every you? single other, every single other. <laughs> <laughs> she was the only thing that didn't bother me. Well, I'm talking about like, the ghost. I'm talking about the ghost yeah. with the creepy skeleton face. Yeah, she didn't bother me. 
Okay. Because right. everyone else bothered me so spectacularly, like, more that okay. it just paled in comparison. I was like, yep, that's fine. <laughs> Fucking Harold, no thank you. Fucking Toe Lady, no thank you. Fat Lady, oh, less horrifying. Still I was going to say, what, what about Fat Lady who just wants a hug? Ugh, ugh. Gross, hate it. Not as frightening. <laughs> Definitely and, hate it. And what about but not uh, as like horrifying. What about that me, fucking Tidody, bendy motherfucker? Me Tidody no, Walker. No way. Yeah. Whatever the hell that is, Gumby's cousin. I don't fucking think so. You stay the that hell was, away from me. I hated that. That was me Tidody Walker. So no. I remember <laughs> in our first in our first like year of doing this show, it was like really important to me that we we read like the first book of right. scary stories to tell in the dark. And I actually okay. did it with um, with three different people. I had two people on the first episode and one person on the, the tail end of the book. And right. some of those stories do hold up. And I oh, yeah. I have I have the other two um, ready to go at any point for anyone else to like jump in and read any of the other scary stories to tell in the dark. But it's like you have to have a relationship. I, I was mm-hmm. the kid who would take those out of the library and, like, hold on to them for weeks on end, and then my right. mom would, like, come into my room and find it, like, next to my pillow, skim through it, look at the Steve Gamel illustrations, and go, what oh, the God. fuck is this? Oh, my what God. In the See, that's You've funny. been reading this? No wonder why you've been having nightmares. And then she'd, like, make me return it. She'd watch me go to the library and return it. I, see, I was the kid who, like, I was, like, reading avidly. I had, like, all that fucking AR advanced bullshit going on. And I'd, like, scuttle into the library to pick out my, like, fifth book of the week. And I would see the covers of those. And I would be like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck no. And I would scuttle away from them as fast as I could. Because just the covers alone, I was like... No, <laughs> it's those Steve, absolutely not. It's those Stephen Gamel illustrations. I remember on and, on I believe his twenty fifth year anniversary, they redid them with the guy who does um, the Lemony Snicket illustrations. Oh, and I it loved just, those books. And it just made it just made the book look so watered down and not scary at all anymore. <laughs> and yeah, I remember, no, it's I remember not the same. like. Like, yeah, you you introduce the same stories to a whole new market of people because they're no longer afraid to read the book by looking at it. But, like, (laughs) it also doesn't scare you anymore because you're not thinking about these terrible illustrations while you're reading the stories that they're based on. It's true. And, I mean, I know, like... It's funny because I did. I read all of the series of unfortunate events. I was fine with having, like, you know, depressing-ass shit happen to these poor orphans. Like, that I didn't give a shit about. But, like, (laughs) fucking Toe Lady? Nope. Dead. Gone. Can't stand it. But I also was terrified of the Goosebumps books. And those were objectively fine. Like, honestly. Looking back on it. But, like, just the covers. I was such a little bitch. And I still am. I'm, like, scared of everything. Which is why it's funny that the only podcast I do is one where we read creepy shit. Where but, we read creepy know. shit and you have to revisit these childhood <laughs> nightmares. Yes, yes, that's that oh, is yes. what we do here. Um, I <laughs> we're here to traumatize each other. <laughs> we're here to tra- yeah, re retread trauma from our childhood. So no relationship required. <laughs> I 
I wouldn't say the Goosebumps books ever did anything to me. They didn't have any visuals. You know, I, as creative as a kid as I was when I would read books when I was a little kid, I wouldn't do a, I wouldn't do too much visu- visualization. I would kind of just right. read the story. And I think, I think the show did more damage to me. Oh my um, god! Because then you're then you're forced <laughs> to watch the stories that you just read, and. That's that's when I started to really get creeped out by boos. Uh, I I almost said boos gumps, and uh, <laughs> I can I call them that from now on. We can call them boos gumps. I, I like that. That's less scary for me. I definitely, <laughs> uh, I definitely did not fuck with Slappy. Something about ventriloquist no. dummies has never been okay with me. I don't care for Slappy. And I would say, <laughs> I've, I've talked about it a bunch, but I would say there were two or three in the Scary Stories uh, books that always got to me. And um, one of them was uh, uh, The Thing, which is like The Thing in the Cornfield. Um, oh yeah, then, no, I remember that. And then the other one was oh, The Wendigo. <laughs> yeah. The Wendigo, where the, the family... The, the family basically goes out into the winter to fight what they think is like a monster and it turns out to be like related to them um yeah you know it's, it's I mostly it's mostly because shit. it just fucking comes <laughs> screaming through the wind like flying through the sky uh-huh. just yelling like what nigga and i was just like no i'm good yeah the no, whole concept of those is horrifying and actually between when we last recorded and now I have learned that some, uh, like, because, you know, it comes from Native American folklore, some, right. and, like, indigenous folklore, I think the, I think some of it's Canada, indigenous can I don't remember, doesn't matter. Yeah. Apparently, even saying the name is, like, bad. It can apparently oh, summon, yeah, apparently even saying the name can, like, some believe that it can summon them to you. Yeah. And I only just learned that, and I was like, oh, I hate that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna well, remember that bullshit from now. That's the whole, that's the whole tulpa thing, you know. If you, if yeah. you even start talking about it, you give it life a little bit. That's that's exactly. That is the the power of fear, the power of terror. Yes. You know, if if you yes. if you talk about something, you kind of give it power over you. Specifically, if you're afraid of it, and that's you know oh, that yeah. goes that goes into why I love you know so many so many specific monsters from from no sleep and mm-hmm. creepypasta like the more you the more you fear them the more powerful they are it's it's good stuff yeah you know i i and it's funny because i was joking when we i was watching the movie with my partner and my roommate and her fiance and we were all just my my partner's good with scary stuff he doesn't give a shit he's fine he'll play mm-hmm. he'll play scary games day in and day out when we play game night he's the one that does like he's the one with the controller you know oh, what I mean? Okay. He's fine. I the rest of us are all like, <sighs> <laughs> and so we were watching this movie, and me and my roommate and her fiance were all just like blanket fort, like one eye peeking out, like holy fuck, holy fuck, holy fuck. And I just watch my boyfriend, and he's sitting over in like a chair, just kind of okay. looking at the screen, like this nice movie, like just kind of. <laughs> vaguely like vaguely like disturbed but not horrified and i was just so i remember feeling like hatred in that moment <laughs> because i was like actively having a heart attack uh-huh. <laughs> and, 
and he was just fine. So I always like to joke about how, like, you know, in the horror situations, I would be, like, the first to die. Uh-huh. Purely because, like, those monsters that get power when you're scared of it, like, fuck, yeah, I'm fucking scared. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't just sit and be like, I'm not afraid of you, monster. I'm the final girl. I am not the final girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the final I'm the girl's best one. friend who gets eaten while she's trying to fuck. Exactly. Like next. Well, see, I don't know if I'm the slut either. I think that I'm not. (laughs) Feminist disclaimer, not to slut shame. Women can have sex if they want to. Horror writers. Anyway, (laughs) Uh, I think I'm more of like the, you know, I'm like the either comic relief best friend or like the nerdy best friend who dies like in the middle. You know what I mean? When it's going to be really sad after they've gotten a little bit attached to me, you know, but I'm definitely not the final girl. (laughs) It's the type of uh, comedic relief, like friend character who like gets a leg up on the on the monster mm-hmm. or the enemy, and then goes out. But like by accident, and it and it ultimately <laughs> maybe maybe by accident. Give yourself some credit. No, um, <laughs> no, no. Trust me, I know myself. If anything like that happened, I would have a fucking meltdown. It would be over. Like. Y'all would, honestly, I would probably just tell somebody to shoot me, because I'm literally dead weight. Yeah. (laughs) You'd be dragging me out of the haunted house by my ankle, because I won't move. (laughs) I feel, I feel pretty similar in, 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 like, it's, it's tough to say, because in, in, like, in a haunted house, where I know Mm -hmm. they are actors, and I know what their purpose is, and I know what they're trying to Mm -hmm. do... I will get in their faces and I will try oh, to you like asshole. I'm not I'm not an asshole about it. I'm just like if they actually scare me, like I'm open to it, you know, I'm susceptible to it. But I wanna like Right. I'm kind of I'm critiquing their craft. Right. And and there's something about like when they use props or when they use sound or even mm-hmm. if they're acting, you know, I wanna I wanna be able to get like the full the full experience, experience of it. And even right. when I've been like surprised, my first my first very gut reaction is fucking bolt. I just run. Yeah. I just run. I am So my thing I am, is I am like, definitely if, a flea when it comes to the what is right. it fight flight or flee what is it fight flight or freeze? I am flight. I fly away. Well that's <laughs> well that's the thing like if I know if I know the enemy and I think I can handle it, it's going to be a fight situation. But if I don't and they just surprised me and I am scared, it's a run. And <laughs> and I have I have very often bolted out of situations I have not felt comfortable in mm-hmm. to to my benefit. <laughs> so Right. Yeah, same. but i mean i actually this is gonna be so fucking hypocritical so the listeners are free to crucify me i used to work in a haunted house when i was in high school it Uh was actually a hayride i didn't work in the house um because that was how my high school theater department made money Mm -hmm. um and it was actually pretty good as far as like i would say you know as far as haunted you know things go it was decent especially for like a small town I wouldn't say it's like spectacular but having gone I did get to go to Eastern State a couple of times hell yeah um because my partner used to work there so he would get free tickets so I went like two years in a row and because I used to work in one I can kind of like 
separated a little bit and I can be like, okay, I used to do this and I'm not here to eat children, probably. <laughs> so I'll like, but I'm still scared, but I like, it's, I like go through and I'm like all tucked into myself and I'm like walking and one of them yells at me and I'm like, thank you, you're doing a good job. And then I just keep like walking as fast as I can <laughs> while crying because I'm scared, but I know that they're like, it's like I know they're people, scared. but it doesn't stop me from being scared. <laughs> so I'll be like, thanks, you're doing great. <laughs> Please don't touch me. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Like... <laughs> so, yeah, so I am a hypocrite and a coward. In case anyone was wondering, I will admit to both of those things. And I'm not sorry. I so when the the most the most thought that I've put into this <clears throat> while while we haven't been recording is mostly into like you know what what comes after this what design am i doing for the title cards mm. and i just went straight body snatchers with both yeah. of the title cards and i went with the uh i went with the the 70s or 80s donald sutherland um doing the scream with the point for the first episode jeepers creepers <laughs> and then i went with uh the 1950s black and white invasion of the body snatchers there's one really good shot where they're just like an mm -hmm. inch away from a dude's face and you just see all the sweat and his eyes bulging out of his head. And that's the, the picture for the second episode. So hopefully we get into some sweaty, Body snatching. intimate, intimate territory this time, because I'd like to think and here and here, and I'm, that wasn't so much a, a, a monster fucking, you know, <laughs> point I was trying to I mean, make. I know, but you know what? I would argue that if you're fucking a body snatcher and you don't know it, it's not consent. It's not like consensual, because you're not consenting to fucking the body snatcher, <laughs> unless you are. In which case, you're on some freak shit that even I can't. Then, then you're high, get high frequency. With. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm gonna assume that there is no monster fucking that's gonna happen in this episode, unless it's like. Oh man, there absolutely could be some monster fucking in this. I episode. was about to say, I anyway. personally think there is going to be some monster fucking, and I think it's going to be very traumatic for us both. All right, so <laughs> I wasn't thinking of the monster fucking, but now I am. And before, I was just hoping that, like, you know, the story is kind of—it's kind of been a roller coaster. Every every oh, time yeah. we've had a little bit of breath in us to continue it's immediately started that climb back up and then there's mm -hmm. always been like a moment where we we climax and go back downhill and it's just like yep. i i know we have a lot more to go i know this is going to be a pretty long episode and i i cannot anticipate what comes next because what we what we kind of developed last time is that like this thing is kind of ahead of the game it's you know, op like, as fuck it's a cheater <laughs> cheater pumpkin eater <laughs> it is a fucking hacker and i don't appreciate it <laughs> yeah. he's just like he yeah you and i both he, he knows what they're gonna do before they're gonna do it it's clearly got some kind of like game plan here I don't know how they can thwart it because it already knows what's going to happen. So I'm just like, okay, this gets into a whole time thing. Like, is the future inevitable or can it be fucked with? And I guess we're going to have to find out. 
Oh man, that gets that gets me into some weird territory. But I'm I'm already mm-hmm. ready. I don't I don't want to talk about it no more. I think we should just get into this shit. Um, Fuck yeah, let's get double ganged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I promised you get... I'd do it. <laughs> I mean, you did it like twice before we started recording, so I and just I'm wanted... gonna keep fucking doing it. <laughs> double ganged. So, uh, this is, uh, that wasn't my husband who slept next to me last night. The title that really convinced us that this story was going to go in a different direction. And now we're kind of creeped out. Um, yep. (laughs) We are also starting at part four for all of those who, uh, I don't know, need to know that information. Yeah. Nerds. I will let Cannibal Siren take it from here. Part four. Note one. All of this happened between when we got to my mom's place and right before I uploaded the last update. It was a lot, and I really didn't want to create a post that was too long. Note two. I had a long conversation with my mother. Her recollections are in italics. Thank you all so much for your support and your kindness during this intensely terrifying time in my life. Understatement of the century. (laughs) Right. Anthony, Christopher, and I pulled up to the entrance of my mother's condominium. It had a beautiful circular driveway, a gate that allowed people and vehicles in and out, and an extremely ornate fountain in the center of the courtyard. 24-hour valet parking was a nice perk. Uh, which, which one was Anthony? Was Anthony... Anthony was the friend. Anthony... Anthony Anthony's the the friend. friend. Chris is the husband, and Peter is the narrator. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes, yes. Okay, so... Are you sure that you want to let some poor, unsuspecting valet drive this car? What if that thing decides he wants to take it for another spin? Honestly, at this point, I doubt that it's after anyone but me and Chris. I mean, you were singled out. He pointed right at you. Thanks, Pete. I really needed to be reminded of that. Anthony was still obviously shaken, but also extremely relieved that he was not being hunted. Or haunted. Whatever the right word is. A valet approached the car, a young woman, about 25 years old, in a sharp brass button jacket and matching pants. Hello, Mr. Tillman. I hope this night finds you doing well. She said, looking at Christopher. I presume you're here to see Mrs. Blockbauer? Nice. I could never have pronounced that. (laughs) I recognize the valet. Elise, I think her name is. Always very sweet. I am, but I don't think we'll be needing you to park the vehicle. We'll drive ourselves. (laughs) Christopher had made the decision to spare this poor woman from whatever horror she could potentially be subjected to by driving the car. What has my life become? Letting a valet park a car was now a hazard to be avoided because a face-stealing creature might stink her to death? God, I just wanted relief. I forgot about the we stank. We turned the car. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about the stank. The stank. <laughs> also, the. I mean, honestly, like, the whole rotting meat smell is not a good one. So, no. No, I have not. never smelled rotting human meat, but if it's anything like the roadkill my dog used to drag into the yard, it's fucking nasty. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> summarize my feelings about that with one big old oof. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> we turned the car into the underground parking lot. My mother's condo was the largest ones in the building, and as such, it entitled her to six reserved parking spaces. Damn. I feel like that's going to be relevant later. 
As we descended, a serious feeling of unease enveloped all of us. We were going underground after a night like this? The smiling faces of three security guards we saw walking around reassured us, but God knows why. This thing was capable of manifesting unnoticed in a busy restaurant and replicating a full-sized car. Three security guards would be useless. Hell, the entire Air Force would probably be of no use to us at this point. We parked and sat in the car. All of us were a combination of exhaustion and terror, not really knowing what we were supposed to do with ourselves. Anthony, as always, broke the silence that we had opted for. Do you really want to involve your mother in this? Christopher sternly shot back at him. Anthony, you heard what Peter said. It doesn't want anything to do with you. One plus one is two. You're safe, and I'm sure his mom is too. I agreed with Christopher and pointed out that we should at least leave the basement. We exited the vehicle and hurried to the elevator. Another closed space. Crap. (laughs) Christopher pushed the button, and due to the good services of the valet, the elevator arrived very quickly with her inside of it. Good evening, Mr. I'm sorry. Good evening, Dr. Tillman. How are you tonight? She asked in a very comforting tone. You wouldn't believe me if I told you, was the only thing that came out of my mouth. I don't know why. It just made the elevator ride to the penthouse very awkward. Well, I hope your tomorrow is much better than your tonight has been. She was such a sweet girl, and that's really what we all needed in the moment unadulterated comfort since whatever semblance of peace we had in our lives had been completely stripped away. We rode the rest of the way in complete silence. The elevator doors opened into the hallway and Christopher and Anthony left very quickly. Tensions were still running high. Take care, Dr. Tillman. The valet said from inside the elevator. I turned and smiled. And don't worry, sir. I'm sure you'll find your suitcase. It'll be in the garage when you get home. She smiled. The door closed. My blood ran cold. Christopher and Anthony were too far ahead of me to notice what she had said. The creature knew we were here. There really was no outrunning this thing. I either had to live with it or kill it myself. Or kill myself. He's gonna kill himself. (laughs) I was gonna say, is it kill myself? (laughs) I'll kill myself. That's the option I'll I'll take. I'm being hunted by something. (laughs) Haha. I just, I mean, what are you going to do, especially something like this? Like, uh, what am I going to do, throw a fucking, like, axe at it? It doesn't care. I doubt it's vulnerable to mortal weapons. This thing has, like, superpowers, you know? Me. (laughs) Good. (laughs) I was just left standing in the hallway. Christopher turned and looked at me. Babe, are you okay? Come on, let's just get inside. I shook myself back to reality, whatever that was, and booked it to the apartment door. There were two penthouse suites on the floor, one on either side of the hall. We rang the doorbell, and the comforting Westminster chimes sounded. One of the night maids opened the door. Good evening, Dr. Tillman. Your mother is reading on the terrace. I'll let her know you're here. I wasn't 12 anymore. I knew reading on the terrace was code for smoking a joint. It was quite chilly. There's no way she was reading outside. Okay, so fucking rich-ass lady who smokes weed. That's what we know so far. Is she single? About Mrs. Tillman. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) We all made our... No no married woman has that much fun. (laughs) We all made our way to the living room and collapsed into individual chairs. It had been 24 hours since all this started. 
Well, a bit over that, but it was only the night before that the creature had slept next to me, and it had only been about eight hours since we were at Anthony's, and it had only been about two hours since my irrationality was encountered by our- or was, excuse me, confirmed by our encounter with Chris in the parking lot. Being in my mom's condo made me feel safe. Thank God she still had that effect on me. My mother had smoked pot since the 70s, but it wasn't until I had my own issues with drugs that she divulged that fact to me. Something about making me feel more connected to her and making it easier for her to put me into rehab. Pot, meth, yeah, really not the same thing, but whatever made the poor woman feel more connected to me. I hate that version of myself. I don't think of that Peter. That Peter died in rehab. Darlings, how are you? Anthony, it's been far too long. Chris, how was Vienna? My mother turned the corner into the living room. Diane von Furstenberg wrap dress, vintage of course, flowing in the breeze coming from the open terrace door. This is the kind of energy that I'm trying to exude. You got, <laughs> yeah, you got it. Yeah. Just smoke some weed. Almost awesome. <laughs> it's over there. <laughs> Good. <laughs> she was finishing up the chocolate chip cookie that was her favorite munchie. She wasn't one for coming second in a conversation and dominated any room she was in. Think Dame Edna meets Barbara Walters. I'm okay, Mom. Just exhausted. We've had a pretty intense afternoon. I decided not to sugarcoat anything and just be straightforward with her. Peter, what's wrong? My mother's tone had changed. She was now obviously concerned and wanted every detail of why we were here and where we had come from. She walked over and sat next to Christopher, facing me. Mom, something's following us. I don't know what, I don't know how long it's been around, but yesterday, yesterday, it... This was my third time in less than 24 hours that I had found myself retelling the story about the creature sleeping next to me, and for some reason it hurt more. It terrified me more to tell it to my mother. I knew how much she cared about me, and I knew how it had only been her and I since Dad passed away, so I knew telling her would cause her pain. Yesterday it shared a bed with me. I just blurted it out. Tonight wasn't the night for filters. My mother is a pale woman, but whatever color she had in her face drained instantly. There was no hiding her emotions. She was terrified. Something had tried to hurt her little boy, and she believed me. Then again, I was always open, even with the drug usage, so she had no reason to believe I was lying. What do you mean it shared a bed with you? Did you have sex with it? Ha! <laughs> and, what <the> <laughs> and what the hell is it? What sort of creature are you referring to? I just dropped my mirror, so that was the noise in the background. <laughs> it was. I got so excited that she asked him about that. The she sex talked about monster fucking. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was the tone or the straightforward abruptness of her questions that set me on edge. This was the first time I was telling the story, and it was be being believed. But her reaction seemed so controlled. Her question so clean and methodical. No, I did not have sex with it, mother. I raised my voice in a vainglorious attempt at self-defense, only to realize that I shouldn't be yelling at my mother. Well, it's... it's Christopher. Well, it's not really Christopher, obviously, but it looks exactly like him, only it's thicker, or it was thicker, and it has this god-awful lip that looks like it's about to explode. My mother shot out of her seat and stood... Sorry, that's a lot of S's. My <laughs> mother shot out of her seat and stood stock still, arms akimbo. Peter Judge Tillman... You've been doing drugs again, haven't you? What is it this uh, time? Cocaine? 
LSD, methamphetamine, heroin again. She rarely yelled at me, but this was almost at the top of her voice. The maid who was within sight made herself scarce. Mother, I have not. I was standing now, my large frame dominating my mother, two bulls rearing to attack one another. Paula, he's telling the truth. I wouldn't have believed him either, but I saw it with my own eyes. Christopher, my staunch defender, said as he slowly stood up and put his hand on my mother's shoulder. Peter, I will tell her the rest. No, I don't want to hear the rest. That's enough for one night. You boys need to get some rest, and in the morning we'll discuss this. I'm exhausted, and frankly, my mind's not clear enough to talk about monsters and boogeymen right now. She was defiant and unyielding. I knew from how she was acting that she was in no mood to hear our story, but this was very odd. My mother was never one to doubt me, and was never one to fly into a rage when confronted with a good piece of gossip or news. For fuck's sake, mother, we're being stalked and could be in danger. I couldn't hold it in. I rarely swore around her. I'm a grown man, and I still don't curse in front of my mother, but this time it was warranted. You're in one of the safest buildings in the city. Nothing can get you here. Boys, please change and make yourselves comfortable. Anthony, I'm sorry, but I don't have anything in your size, but we'll get you some toiletries and a robe. You can have a nice warm shower. Christopher, Peter, help yourselves. She wandered out of the room and directed Anthony to Sylvie, one of the night staff who was too busy pretending that she did not hear my mother reference my drug-addled past, to realize my mother had walked up behind her. Sylvie, this is Anthony. Please show him to a room and make him comfortable. My mother, ever the hostess. Christopher had left the room to go and change. He had showered when we returned home from the airport, but that was hours ago, and... After all the sweating and insanity that we had gone through, he figured that a nice long shower would do him some good. I refused to let him go and told him to shower with the door open. I refused to let him be out of my sight for any reason. I found myself standing alone in that cavernous living room, staring out the wall of windows. The city was beautiful at night. Sorry, my cat just opened my drawer. Thanks, dude. I thought you might want this. I don't. He's like, if I can't have your clothes, I'll scratch on your dresser. (laughs) The city was beautiful at night, but the only thing on my mind was when the creature would strike next. He already sent me a message via the valet. He knew I was here. What would happen? What the hell did he want? Why me? Come with me onto the terrace. My mother said as she walked up behind me. Jesus, don't scare me like that. Not after what I've gone through. I sternly said to her. It's bad enough that you think I'm crazy. Put your jacket on and come with me onto the terrace. Bring your cigarettes. She ordered. My mom had smoked cigarettes until she was pregnant with me, or so she claimed, and hated the fact that I smoked tobacco. Marijuana's a beautiful, healthy plant, no carcinogens was always her retort whenever I threw the fact that she smoked pot in her face. My mother didn't wait for me and was already out on the terrace, second or potentially third joint lit. She inhaled deeply. (sighs) Sit down. She gestured to the lounger that was three feet away from me. I don't feel like sitting. I'd rather stand. I lit my cigarette. 
My mother had her back to me and was looking out over the city. I had never really seen her like this, not since Dad died. She was usually very upbeat and energetic. That never had a downer effect on my mother, but rather made her mind flow more easily and helped her have that zest she was known for. Which one happens first, the smell or the sight? My mother quietly asked, still facing the city. I coughed. I had smoked for 15 years. I knew how to smoke, but that question caught me off guard completely. I coughed hard, trying to catch my breath. <laughs> what? What did you say? I wheezed at her. I was trying to scream, but like Anthony in the police station, the first question just knocked the wind out of me. What happens first? Do you see him or do you smell him? How do you know about the smell? Has he been here? Did he hurt you? Answer the question, Peter. Do you smell him first, or do you see him first? It's always the smell. I'm not telling you anything else until you tell me what you know. Is it the lip or the eyes? What? Is it his lip that bulges out, or is it his eyes? Which one? I know you said something about his lip, but I want to make sure. She hadn't turned to face me, at all. I could tell from the sound of her voice that her throat was starting to tighten, as if she was on the verge of tears. I hated seeing my mother cry, but I wanted some damn answers. It's his lip. Did he give you anything? Has he left you any notes or cards? I took the crumpled police report from my pocket and handed it to her. I pointed out the section where the incident report was supposed to have been. And this is where it says the new beginning tomorrow, new beginning tomorrow, all over again. Really horribly misspelled. Okay. It's time to pay the debt. All debts must be paid. All dues have to be collected. Oh. Sorry, I- whoa. Yeah. <laughs> My mother turned around, tears streaming down her face. I slowly walked up to her and she took another drag from the dying joint. Peter, we need to talk about your future. About what's going to happen. She tearfully said. I knew that this was my chance to finally get some answers, to finally understand what was happening in my life. But to know that my mother knew something about this and never said anything enraged me. How could you not tell me about this? How could you keep something like this a secret, I asked, both hurt and angry. Actually, I was livid, virtually vibrating out of sheer and total rage, teeth clenched. We were told you had more time. They told us that they would only come after we both had died. After you had your son. She put her hand on my shoulder and out of rage I pushed her away. Who is they? What is going on? I demanded answers. The rage had vanished and was instantly replaced with a fear of not knowing and a sadness that my mother knew without telling me anything. Son, our past is a lie. Your father was never very good at... Was never very good at... Well, he was never very good at anything... Your grandparents were amazing. Both his parents and my parents knew one another before the war, during the time in the camps. 
his parents were sent to Buchenwald, and my parents were dumped into Mathausen. Luckily, none of them, his parents nor mine, were sent to Auschwitz or Bergen-Belsen, but Buchenwald was no luxury hotel. When they left the camps at the end of the war, they ran into one another as they made their way across a war-ravaged Europe. Your father's mother and my father even started a business together. They were cloth merchants, not rich by any standards, but it was the 40s. The name of the game wasn't Get Rich, it was Survive. We were poor, our poverty stemmed back generations, but we always made ends meet. Eventually, our parents drifted and lost touch with one another. When your father was a teenager, he came back to Germany to find work, and there he found me. We fell deeply in love within a matter of weeks, our parents not knowing, and frankly, we had no clue that they knew one another. Our courtship become more intense, and finally we realized that we had to tell our parents. He wrote back to his father and mother, and I brought him home to meet my parents. Within the first five minutes of meeting my parents and finding out who his parents were, my father had spat at him and told him to never enter our house again. This was a story that I had never heard, and I was still not seeing how this had anything to do with me or the creature. What the hell does this have to do with the damn creature, I interrupted. She paid me no mind and continued to talk. My father told me to never bring him back to that house. My mother barely said a word. I was shocked. I had no idea why they would behave like this. Later that night, I went to my mother and asked what could have made Papa react as strongly as he had, and my poor mother broke down crying and told me that while her husband and your father's mother were busy trying to make ends meet, well... She and your father's father were busy, well, busy staying busy. I knew this meant that my paternal grandfather and my maternal grandmother had had an affair. I was slightly disappointed, but that entire generation was dead and none of this was explaining what the creature had to do with anything. Their spouses finally found out and they were livid. My father threatened to leave my mother and never talk to her again. He called her a whore and asked how, when he had gone hungry many nights in the camps, saving scraps for her to eat, that she could throw herself at another man. My mother really had no defenses against this and became extremely depressed after her affair and with your paternal grandfather ended. Anyway, your father and I refused to be separated. We refused to let our parents' hatred for one another get in our way of our love. And we loved one another so much, Peter, you have to believe me. We were so madly in love and refused to let one another go. We were both kicked out of our homes and told never to return. We were poor. We were beyond poor. Neither him nor I had any schooling, we had no funds to get by on, and it wasn't like the olden days when we could farm. Europe was changing and we needed to make money. Your father got a job at a bank, and that paid him a meager wage. He was a teller, but that was probably because the bank manager thought that she could be able to convince your father to fuck her, 
if she kept him employed. I had never heard my mother speak with so much vulgarity before. I kind of liked that she was letting it go, and at the same point was at my wit's end. I didn't need to hear about the family history, I just wanted to know what was happening. And then one day it changed. It all changed. Your father came home and told me that he had saved up all of his earnings and had dumped them into the markets. We're going to be rich, Paula, he would say. We're never going to have to worry again. He was 22 at this point. And he was right. We became rich. And not regular rich. Very rich. We became ultra wealthy. Millions and millions and millions of dollars within a few years. I would ask from time to time how the markets were doing, and he would always tell me, Don't worry, Paula. I would never let anything happen to us. Our family is going to be secure. Our children will be happy. By the time your father was 30, he was worth more than our entire town put together. He was loved all through Germany and was a celebrated financier. People would spend days traveling and wait hours just to see him, just to get a tip. And it always paid off. I never questioned it because I was too busy spending. The joint had gone out, and my mother had sat herself down in the chair she originally told me to sit in. Then one day we were at the park. Everyone knew who we were, and everything was going so well. You were still in my tummy, and I was about four months along. I just needed some air, and then... The smell. Oh, Peter, the smell. It was like someone had taken my face and shoved it into a dead, rotting carcass of a pig. I threw up instantly. Your father was as white as a sheet. I turned and looked at him after gathering myself. We need to leave, Paula. We need to leave now, was all he said. And he grabbed my arm and he pulled me away. But standing no more than ten feet away from us was... Your father. I almost fainted. If it wasn't for you giving me the strength, I would have. Your real father tried to turn us away. But when we turned around, the creature, your father was standing behind us. It was impossible. Nothing moves like that. The creature started to move towards us, and as he got closer, I saw that he was carrying a suitcase. And the smell became stronger and stronger. No one else in the park seemed to notice this, only us. It was a packed park, and there was my husband standing in front of my husband, and nothing seemed strange to anyone. The thing walked up to us, his eyes were almost bulging out of its head, and the stench, oh god, Peter, the stench. We were both frozen in terror, your father's grip on my hand almost vice-like as the, as the creature approached me. He extended his hand, everything about it looked normal except for his eyes. He extended his hand and placed it on my stomach and rubbed it. I was on the verge of passing out. What kind of deal did my parents make? What was going on? What the hell was all of this? My mother continued. The creature spoke. It spoke just like your father. Nothing was off. It was The voice was a perfect copy. When it is time, we will come. Your husband owes us, and we always collect our dues. I passed out. 
I fainted straight to the ground. By the time I came to, about ten people from the park had come to surround me, and your father was leaning over me. I pulled myself up, and we pretended that nothing had happened. The crowd dispersed, and we went back to the bench we were sitting on, and the smell was gone. I screamed at your father when I knew I could. I asked him what was going on, and what the hell that thing was, and why he was rubbing my stomach. I was a fool. I was an arrogant, greedy fool, and now it's time to pay. Paula, the money, the houses, the cars, the... The everything was based on a promise. Years ago, while working at the bank, I went out for a cigarette behind the building. I noticed a man standing there. He smelled awful and had a suitcase with him. Everyone in Europe was still poor and starving, and I felt sorry for him. I felt like I could help. No one should smell like that. I approached him and offered him something to eat, and the man smiled back at me and said he was okay. I even offered him to come home and visit us. He was a straggler. He needed some help. I remember what my father told me about his life. Sometimes we all need help. Oh, Paula, forgive me, your father cried. Your father finished by telling me that the man put his hand on your father's shoulder and said, He, your father, could have everything he dreamed of because your father showed him kindness. The man promised your father that everything would be okay, that your father and I would make money, that anything your father touched would turn to gold. Your father thought the man was crazy and was just trying to be nice to him because he offered help. And the next day, your father's stocks jumped. He didn't have much, but he saw he could buy a few more shares and hope for the best. And then they jumped again. And again. And again. He got the taste of money. And he liked it. After the first few millions and everything him touching turning to gold, your father left the bank and started his own company. The day he moved into his new office in Hamburg, his newly hired secretary told him an old friend was here to see him. Your father had plenty of old friends. Hangers-on, would-be millionaires, down-on-their-luck businessmen, all wanting a piece of the pie. Your father told her to let him in, but the secretary said the man wanted to meet your father outside. Your father sat there, and then the smell hit him. The stench coming off that man with the suitcase all the years ago. You don't forget a smell like that. Your father hurried down the stairs to meet the man that had blessed him. How could someone who had told my father he would see luck be anything but wonderful? How could he be bad? Your father ran down into the streets and there standing across the road was the man with the suitcase. Your father ran across the street, traffic be damned, and followed the man who had started to move. Sir, friend, slow down. I want to thank you. Your kind words gave me everything. And the man turned down another street, and your father followed. And suddenly, the man stopped and turned. He had the most awful, bulging lip your father had seen, much different from the last time he had seen him. But the awful smell was just the same, thick and pungent. Wilhelm, you've done so well for yourself. I'm happy you liked my gift, the man said. Your father was confused. He didn't receive a gift from the man, only his good blessings. What gift do you mean, asked your father. Everything, said the man. We've given you everything, but if you'd like more, we can make that happen.
Your father was a skeptical man and never agreed to anything, uh, never took anything for granted. When he told me this story, he also relayed how this man could stare right into his soul. He knew what your father wanted, Peter. And that was money. Wilhelm, we gave you the world and we can give you more. All we ask is your equal payment. Millions, even billions of dollars, everything you've desired. The man's voice was calm and like a father. Your father wanted everything, Peter. He wanted more than he could spend. Greed got the better of him. Another blessing, my friend? Absolutely, I will take whatever you can give me. The man with the suitcase put his hand on your father's shoulder and told him that when the time was right, everything would come to him and everything would be equal. All would be equal. All debts must be paid. All dues must be collected. Your father didn't agree nor disagree, but the man with the suitcase knew your father couldn't resist. I just sat in that park bench, pregnant with you, holding my stomach, realizing what your father had done. I swear, Peter, I knew nothing until that point. And the years went by, and the money got bigger. We never made billions. We were close to it in the 80s, but never hit it. For years after that, we would have cryptically written clues show up around us. Words inside books would rearrange themselves. Random people would ask us if we found our suitcase. Messages on sales receipts. Even once on the inside of your backpack when you were a toddler. It stopped for a while, but I knew this day would come. The notes told us that they would only come after we died. After you had a chance at life. And then your father died. We had never seen the man again, but we were never allowed to forget him. The day of your father's funeral, I went to the bathroom in the funeral home to tidy myself up. I was alone until the smell. Oh God, the smell. It came wafting through the vent. I thought for sure this was going to be where I died too, and frankly, I wished it was. I tried to leave, but the handle on the door wouldn't move. I turned around, and as if out of thin air, he was standing there. Your father, with the bulging eyes. I stared at Wilhelm's cold body in that coffin all morning, and now there he was standing there. And until I saw his eyes, Peter, I knew when I saw the eyes that the creature had come back. Don't be afraid. I'm not here for you he said in your father's voice. We only collect what we're owed. Wilhelm had a heart attack, so the burden falls on you. You know what we want, and we'll come and get it when the time was right. I averted my eyes for a second, and he was gone. The door to the bathroom opened, and I ran into the hall. I looked out the door, and I could see him, the creature with the bulging eyes, walking through the parking lot. Peter, they've come for their dues and they expect payment. My mother walked off the balcony and I sat there. I didn't have questions. I was just in shock. I was always told we were old money, that it was inherited from grandparents who died long before I was born. I had to confront the creature and was going to or live in terror forever. She came back very quickly, crying softly, and just handed me a card. It was the business card from my father's first company when he shook hands with the creature, so to speak, and mortgaged my life for his undeserved wealth. 
New Beginnings Financial Investment Corporation. That's it for part four. Oh, shit. Not quite what I was expecting, but oh, he fuck. He mortgaged his life for the wealth. It's funny, though, because I'm wondering if the monster is like here because type of thing. yes definitely but i think that it's here because it said that they would come after he had had a chance at life right yeah. i think that they're probably like well he squandered it with the whole drug thing so now we're here maybe they're gonna t that's why they're here so soon because they're like well you had your chance, and I don't think you did a good job, so and so we're gonna go ahead and collect before or, you can die. Or they just know something that we don't, and they're just like they're That's trying true. to they're trying to play the cards to the best of their ability before something happens. Um, it's very true. We're gonna swap roles. I'll read narrator. You read everyone else. Perfect. I really liked reading as the mother. She's very well spoken. Very. <laughs> that was that was a very fun I, read. I'm sorry I took that entire section from you. No, I loved it. I like the Barbara Walters vibe too. Yeah, <laughs> I always tend to go in that direction when it's like a uh, old, old, rich, old, old rich baddie. Yeah. Oh, like oh, a, son, like Lucille oh. Bluth. Right, <laughs> right. Except maybe not a huge bitch. <laughs> What can a banana cost? What can a baby cost? Ten dollars? <laughs> <laughs> Sips. <laughs> Alright, part five. Note one. The next updated, the one after this one, will be the last part. Note two. Thank you all. I don't know how long I sat on the terrace. The morning was very brisk, especially for July. But this was Toronto, and Canada had some awful summers lately. I think I focused on the wind because I was distracted from the vacuum that my life had been thrown into. A gaping, sucking void from which there was evidently no escaping. The creature was able to manifest in Germany, in Canada, in England, everywhere. My parents and I traveled extensively when I was younger and wherever we had gone apparently the ghastly writing would follow. The notes never ended. Mom and Dad were never allowed to forget that their child had been bargained for a success that had happened overnight. I finally stood. Actually, that's a lie. I didn't have the ability to stand. I lurched myself out of the chair and propped myself up against the column that abutted the chair I sat in. I had smoked through almost an entire pack of cigarettes, and one of the nightmates was nice enough to bring me two bottles of wine. I had lost all concept of time. It must have been about 4.30 in the morning at this point. I could see the occasional bird flying around. I knew dawn would soon wash away this god-awful night, but then what? I had all the money I could possibly ever need, and Christopher and I could just run away somewhere, but anywhere we went that thing would follow, and I didn't do anything to deserve it. I had kicked the drug habit, I had reformed myself. Hell. I even made sure that in all of my wild years of sex and partying that I never contracted anything. Safe sex, always. But what was it all for? I should have just wasted away my life in some rundown shithole outside of Bern or London or Venice. I should have partied away my life and enjoyed what I had been sold for before the Reaper came to claim his prize. All debts must be paid, all dues must be collected. 
I finally entered the condo and made my way to the east dining room and collapsed into one of the chairs. I was an angry man, an angry, bitter man, an angry, bitter, drunk man who had to teach a class in a matter of hours. That definitely wasn't going to happen. How the fuck was I going to go to school again, to go about my life, to do anything? Christopher and I had planned so many good years to come. Children, a vacation home, retiring, endless travel. How could I do any of that now? How could I do this to Christopher? Children were certainly out of the picture, and there was no way I could have Christopher constantly looking over his shoulder for the day that his double would finally just come and take me. God, to know that I was claimed. The staff turned over at 5 a.m., and I saw two of the maids changing out of their uniforms and into their regular clothes. I knew that I had to start tackling this, but how the hell would I was going to even start? How would I deal with this? I reached for my phone, the class was at 8.30, and if I sent out a broadcast message to my students, I would save a good number of them the annoyance of coming to an 8.30 class only to find that their professor wasn't there. 2% battery life, that's all I had left in my phone. I had to find a charger. I hit the page button, and luckily Sylvie hadn't clocked out yet. I asked her, my breath smelling of off the pop, a good uh, vintage, at least, and my words slurred. If she could source me a charger for my iPhone, she could see that I was in distress and had no no doubt overheard the conversation between my mother, Anthony Christopher, and I earlier in the night or morning. She disappeared momentarily and came back charger in hand. God, I loved her. She was such a useful person, like I had been before any utility in my life had been so unceremoniously stripped away. Here you are, Dr. Tillman. You should check your phone. He doesn't like to be kept waiting. She dropped the charger on the table and left the room. I was drunker than I realized, but I understood what she said. Within a few seconds of her leaving the room, the, famari- the famous tritone that all iPhone users are familiar with sounded. It was an area code 647 number. It says, it's cold on the terrace, but it's I-T-T-S-S-K-O-L-D-E-E-N-N-D-A-H-H-D-T-E-R-I-C-E. Just, this, this thing doesn't know how to spell. <laughs> it's I, It's funny because it's like, it's like funny, but it's actually creepy because it's like this awful thing that do- kind of knows how humans work, but not really. Not enough yeah. to be complete. Like, enough to be convincing, but not quite right. Yeah, and that, that that's where the creep... That's where the creep factor yeah. comes from. It's cold... Or they're Swedish. It's a cold undertales. <laughs> I, sober, <laughs> I sobered up instantly. This was it. He was here. He was outside. And he knew that I knew what he wanted. I stood up and turned towards the hallway leading to the terrace. I hesitantly made my way down the wall of windows that opened up to one of the absolute best views the city had to offer. Money. Buy so many things. And nothing at all. I made my way to the door and turned the handle. If I wasn't sober before, the smell that came rushing into my nostrils certainly fixed the problem. I could smell him near. The same burning at the back of the throat, the same apprehensive feeling, the same taste of rotten flesh filling my mouth, except this time I understood him. I understood that he wanted me. 
The terrace wraps around the corner of the building, at which point it stops and the terrace of the adjoining apartment begins. My mum took over three-quarters of the floor space and Miss Thompson Fitch, wife of the advertising magnate, fourth wife to be exact, owned the other remaining quarter. I turned the corner away from the view of the living room. The sun was slowly rising and it was blue out. You know that time of morning where the sun begins to creep above the horizon? It wasn't quite dawn, but it wasn't quite night. I could see the creature standing at the far end of the terrace, back toward me. I froze. I was filled with the bravado of a wronged man leading up to the turn, but now was consumed with dread. Was this it? Was my life going to be claimed now? Was the debt to be collected? I stopped moving forward. And then, in the Christopher's voice, in the voice of the man that I loved so much, the voice of the man who I would give everything for, the creature spoke. Hello, Peter. I couldn't respond. I just stood there and waited to die. Hello, Peter. Again, no response from me. I couldn't bring myself to do it. I couldn't bring myself to talk, or even to feel at this point. Every atom in my existence was vibrating with fear. No excuses. Hello, Peter. I would appreciate a response. The creature seemed to be getting impatient. <laughs> Chris wanted to talk. Hell. <laughs> was the only thing I could manage to get out. I was so exhausted, so weak, so drained, so... well, so everything. All emotions that I had ever experienced in the negative sat on me like some kind of massive stone, waiting to crush me. Nothing happy, nothing contentful, nothing peaceful. Just the dead weight of a ruined life. The smell still lingered in the air, thick and acrid like the smell of burnt hair. Paola spoke with you. She told you the deal. The creature continued, back still towards me, no sign of movement on his part. I still couldn't speak. Facing the back of him was like facing the back of every failed moment in my life, mixed with a terror so visceral and real you could cut it with a knife. She told you half the story. You should ask Christopher the other half. He said, still sounding exactly like Christopher, like he was referring to himself in the third person, and then he turned around. I could see the lip from fifty feet away. It had burst at this point and oozed a thick black substance that ran down the front of his coat. It looked like a mixture of tar and water, black enough to be tar but flowed like water, like dead, necrotized blood. I backed up, but there really wasn't much of a place to back up. The sight terrified me and burned me. It was like watching Christopher in pain, but knowing that it wasn't Christopher somehow didn't seem to help. He advanced forward. I was backed against the wall, I had nowhere to go, and as if controlled by another, my legs failed me. I couldn't bring myself to run left or right, the creature continued to advance forward. I noticed how much his walk was like Christopher's, with that stupid sort of dip that Christopher does when he walks slow. A result of too many high jumps off of cliffs into water when he was a teenager. I shut my eyes. Like a child, attempting to get away from a terrible sight, the smell of the creature getting stronger and stronger with each advancing step. I could feel hot, 
fresh tears streaming down my face. I was crying, not out of fear, but out of hopelessness. I had so many things I wanted to do. I had so many wishes that I tried so hard to fulfill. All that was gone, and the only thing left was a blank IOU waiting to be signed by whatever this creature walking towards me was. He stopped within arm's reach and raised his right hand to my face. The smell was almost unbearable. It was unbearable. I could feel myself dry heaving. I had smelled this stench several times in the past 24 hours, and this time the proximity brought me even closer to vomiting. I still hadn't opened my eyes, hoping beyond hope that somehow this would magic the creature out of existence, and I would wake up next to my Christopher, heaving and panting after some kind of acrobatic lovemaking session. The creature placed his hand on my cheek. It was warm, and exactly like Christopher's touch. That touch that had lifted me off the floor of the kitchen at the house party where we first met. That touch that had held my hand when I stood in front of my parents and confirmed that we were getting married. That touch that had held me close the moments before my doctoral thesis defense. That touch which had held my face on the beach in the Sicilies. The beach in the- Seychelles. Ah. African island. Beautiful. The beach in the Seychelles and pulled me to his after saying, I do. It was that last thought that made me open my eyes. The fact that I knew what I had and I knew what I had I could lose in an instant if I didn't cooperate. It was the single most terrifying thing that I had ever experienced so far. To be that close to one that wanted to claim me, I fainted and hit my head on the concrete tile hard. Oh my god, Peter, darling, my son, please wake up. I could see three blurry figures leaning over me, and I could feel that I was still obviously outside. My head was pounding, and it took a few seconds for my vision to settle. It was Christopher, Anthony, and my mother. I shot up, standing straight upright. It was bright and hot outside, like a regular July day. How long had I been passed out for? I backed away from them, no longer knowing what was real and what had been the creature's doing. I hadn't forgot a thing. I turned and looked at Christopher. Which one are you? Are you real? Do you want me? What did you want me to do? How am I paying for this? Why did... How? Fuck you! I collapsed on the ground, crying like a child. My mother came near me, and I started to scream. Scream like a parent who's just been told that their child had died. Scream like a husband who had made it out of the house only to watch his wife die in the ensuing fire. Scream like a man who had nothing left to live for. You did this. This was your fucking fault. And his. Fuck you all. I never did this. You sold me. You lied to me. Dad fucking sold me. I stood up again, but once more, like being drunk on the terrace, I braced myself against the wall. I was still crying, almost uncontrollably. Anthony came towards me, and I leaned all my weight on him. The poor man. I was almost a foot taller, but he bore my full frame. Soldier carrying comrade through the jungles of Vietnam. No man left behind. He put me into a chair and just hugged me. I was hyperventilating, and he straddled my legs and pressed his face into mine. Look at me, Peter. Look at me. Just count now. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three.
Just breathe. Anthony was a small man, but I could see in that moment why he was a very good physician. He took control of me in a way reserved for lovers and those I apparently owed debts to. It took about three minutes, but Anthony finally moved off of me and I regained composure. My mind was still racing, but my body was finally under control. The hyperventilating had stopped. I was starting to regain composure as best as I could. I looked down at my watch and it read 7am. Good. Early. I have two surgeries today. Are you going to be okay here without me? Anthony, my savior, in that moment asked while still within arm's reach. Yeah, I think I'll be fine. Can you come back when you're done? I asked him. Sure, no problem. My last one's at 3pm. I should be able to walk back over in 10 minutes. I'll call from the hospital when I get here, when I get there, and when I'm leaving, just in case I don't show up here. Anthony's composure was very reassuring. Anthony continued. I love you, man. Don't worry. We'll sort this out. I smiled as he turned and walked off the terrace, one of the day maids walking behind him. You need to cancel your class, Christopher said with authority. You need to explain to me what you know. I shot back at him. And he was right. I did need to cancel my class, but I wanted Christopher's answer more than anything. The creature had told me that Christopher knew more than he was letting on, and I wanted to get to the bottom of this. What do you mean? Christopher asked with an obvious look of concern pained across his face. You know what I mean, Christopher. After you fell asleep last night, Mom told me everything. I continued in an almost cartoonish fashion to recite the events that transpired after Christopher went to the shower. From my mother telling me the truth, to meeting the creature, to being advised that the love of my life had not told me what he knew. Almost all in one breath. I felt like what was I was going to start hyperventilating again, but gathered myself knowing that Anthony wasn't there to be my knight in shining armor. Peter, I, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean you met the creature? Did he look like me? What did he say to you about me? Christopher gave himself away. My eyes narrowed. I was on the verge of physically attacking him. What do you mean? What did he say to you about me? Christopher, so fucking help me, God. Tell me what you know. I deserve the truth. I was screaming again. I was having a full-blown mental breakdown. My family was bargaining me like a pawn, and no one had the balls to tell me the truth. I had spent my life searching for the truth. Physics tries to understand the mechanics of the world and to make sense of the anomalies that arise. Gamma ray bursts, lenticular clouds, holes appearing in the ground in Russia. Our job was to take the mystical and bring it into the world of the real, to bring the impossible into the possible. There was impossible. Nothing I knew was real anymore. Dr. Megan wasn't real. Chris said bluntly. What? I asked in a confused fashion. The name had rang a bell, but I wasn't connecting the dots. Christopher finally opened up and told me the truth. Peter, I never went to sleep last night. Your mother left you on the terrace and came inside crying. I met her in the library, drinking by herself, and started talking to her. She told me everything. The one thing we couldn't figure out was why the creature looked like me. The fact that it resembled your father made sense. He had made the deal. But the fact that this iteration looked like me threw us both. We couldn't come up with a reason until I thought about your drug usage. <laughs> you fucking nailed it. I am not 
to blame for this. I fucked up my youth and had to work long and hard through rehab to get the fuck out of that situation. You have no idea what I went through. I shot back. That was my biggest personal triumph. I have nothing left in my life and I felt like Christopher was robbing me of that as well. Fuck defending my doctoral thesis and being offered tenure, dragging myself up by my bootstraps, fixing my addiction problems was my greatest triumph. You died, Peter. Christopher said bluntly. I didn't know what to make of that statement. I had no clue what he was talking about. What the hell do you mean? I mean, sure, there were blackout periods, but I never fucking flatlined, I scathingly threw back at him. You're the love of my life. You're the reason that I get up in the morning. There are weeks when I work 70 hours, but to know that I'll come home to your perfect body. <laughs> my body was far from perfect. And your beautiful face and your gorgeous smell. I did smell pretty awesome. Just thinking about you makes me know that I found the one that gives me the reason to continue living. The one that drives me to succeed and the one that I want to hold my hand as I close my eyes for the last time and leave this world. That's what you mean to me. Christopher was crying at this point. We found one another when you, you were at your worst. You were a strung out tweaker. Drug slang for one who does a ton of meth and then parties for days. I thought most people knew that, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That I helped off the floor of the kitchen at a house party. You told me that I had the most beautiful eyes that you had ever seen. You made me realize that I was worth something. Peter, when you met me, I was so confused. I hated myself for liking Matt, and my parents' hate equaled mine. I had no drive to continue, but even in your drug-addled state, you knew how to make me feel like I was worth it. I fell in love with you. The only time I had truly been in love. When you were sober, you were the best, and when you were high, you fucked like a god, and I loved it. But I lost you in those moments of all-consuming drug binges. I was crying at this point. I loved Christopher, and this reminded me why. There was one particularly terrible night. We had spent the afternoon together and had lunch at Barbarian, and spent the afternoon walking around the harbor front. It was a beautiful day. You left me and told me that you were going to go meet David, your dealer, and my heart sank. When I had you, I had you, but when I let you go, you let yourself go. I just stared at Christopher. My mother was weeping and covering her mouth. Evidently, Christopher had told her this story earlier that morning. Christopher continued. About, about 10 p.m. that night, I tried calling you and you weren't answering. I got a terrible feeling. Even at your worst, you always answered me. Even if the only thing I could hear was the pounding bass of whatever god-awful club you decided to tweak the night away in. But that night I got no answer. I tried several times, and around 11pm I finally gave up and called your parents. One of the night staff answered and advised me you'd been rushed to the hospital. You were at St. Michael's. I recalled bits and pieces of the night he was referring to, but only truly remembered regaining consciousness in the hospital bed, feeling perfectly fine. I remembered my mother mentioning how much she loved Dr. Megan for bringing me back, but that was it. I raced down the Guardian Express, sorry, Gardiner Expressway, going over 150 kilometers an hour. I didn't know what I was doing. I had a couple of drinks with my friends and was pretty tipsy. It's pretty amazing I didn't crash on the way there. I sped into the parking lot, ditched my father's Bentley in the entryway, and just ran into the hospital. I found the emergency room, and at first they refused to let me see you. 
That's when I saw your mother. She was sitting in a chair, babbling to herself, talking about how you shouldn't climb so high on the monkey bars because you'd fall and scrape your knee. In hindsight, I realized that the hospital stank. It reeked exactly like the King Edward Hotel, exactly like the inside of our BMW in the parking lot. It wasn't until I was speaking with your mother last night that I remembered that. I guessed in the moment I had blocked it out. I always hated hospitals, and I knew I had to get to you. I looked at my mother, and she looked away. I ran up to your mother and crouched down so we were face to face. I asked her what was wrong, and she just kept saying, Wilhelm, keep an eye on him. If he falls, you could scrape his knee. She was completely incoherent, and I expected the worst. I went into the triage room where a terribly fat woman was complaining about hemorrhoids. (laughs) The nurse yelled at me to leave, and I backed out of the room. An attending physician, Dr. Patel, finally found me in the hallway and led me away, firm hand on my shoulder. One of the day maids had brought up a tray of juices and a tumbler of gin. It was a family tradition if we were going to drink at 8 a.m. Family rules dictated that it be gin. My mother had poured herself a rather large drink and invited the poor maid to have one too. She rebuffed, but finally gave in. Christopher, gin in hand, continued telling the story. Dr. Patel walked me to where your mother was sitting. By this point, your mother had been moved into a separate waiting room. She kept staring at the empty chair next to her and saying, He's going to be a physicist, you know, guaranteed to win a Nobel Prize. She didn't even realize that myself nor the doctor had entered the room. I was directed to a chair and that's when my world ended. He looked at me and said Peter died from an overdose at approximately 10pm tonight. My world collapsed, Peter. I understood why your mother, now shouting the ima- showing the imaginary person sitting in the seat next to her the baby picture she carried around in her wallet, was acting the way she was. It was like someone had reached into me and ripped my stomach out through my mouth. I broke down and started to cry. The time was almost 11pm at this point. You'd been dead for almost an hour. I didn't know what to say, what to do, or how to continue. I had died for an hour? Medically speaking, this was impossible. Where was Anthony when I needed him? Oh right, relieving intracranial pressure in a four-year-old. It's impossible to recover from an hour of death, but the rest of Christopher's story made me understand better what was going on. He continued speaking, even though his voice was breaking down. Dr. Patel left the room. I had never felt more alone. He promised he'd return shortly after doing his rounds and that I should contact a loved one to pick me up from the hospital. And that's when Dr. Megan entered the room. She was a Filipino woman, about 5'6", with short black hair. She put her arm around me and apologized for what I was going through. In hindsight, I now realize that she looked slightly strange, like if her lip was slightly bigger, but nothing that I cared about in the moment. The smell was also probably there, but however, in that moment, the entire Santa Claus parade could have marched past me and I wouldn't have noticed. She put her hand on my leg and said, We can bring him back. I was floored. I didn't know what you could bring someone back from over an hour of death. Of course, I said, of course I want to. Please. She removed her hand from my leg and looked at me in her eyes. There was this strange coldness to the whole thing. But I didn't care. I I just wanted you back. It'll be difficult, but I think we can do it, Dr. Megan told me. I didn't care. I couldn't watch your mother go through this. I couldn't go through this. I wanted you back. Do what you need to do, I told Dr. Megan. Okay, but remember, all debts need to be paid and all dues are collected, Dr. Megan said. 
without breaking eye contact. I just figured that this was some bullshit take care of yourself thing that physicians said to the relatives of drug addicts so that we could scold you when they woke you. She left the room again and came back about 20 minutes later. I did not I did recall. Not recall. <laughs> we have those I was... moments. <laughs> I did not recall any of this. I did not recall anything. I was floored. Who was this miracle physician that had brought me back from the other side of death? You can see him now, but you must bring his mother. She held the door open and pointed us in the direction of your room. I found it strange when I entered that you were almost, almost normal, like nothing had happened to you. You were sitting up in bed, just staring at the wall, waiting for us to walk in. I walked in and gave you the biggest kiss I'd ever given you. Your mother snapped back to reality and threw her arms around you. Oh, my liebling son! Ich werde dich nie gehen lassen. Oh, my darling son! I'll never let you go. <laughs> she exclaimed. Within five minutes, Dr. Patel had returned to our room, reviewed your chart, and gave us a smile. Ah, another debt. Was all he said and left the room. And we didn't care what he had to say. We had you back. Dr. Megan was a miracle worker, and that was it. You entered rehab within two days of being discharged from the hospital and never once went back to the drug. It was a miracle. You were virtually cured. About three months later, I returned to the hospital with a large bouquet of roses for Dr. Megan, this woman who had brought you back from the brink of death. I went to the administration office and asked for her. The hospital had never employed a Dr. Megan, and the only female physician named Megan who worked there in the past year was a rather rotund Chinese woman who looked nothing like the doctor that saved you that night. I never told anyone this. I figured that an angel had brought you back to us. Now I realize it was something far different. I interjected at this point. If the doctor was chirping on about debts, how the hell did none of this ring a bell to you before, mother? You must have known what was going on. I was glaring at my mother, red hot from the hatred that was starting to build for my family, but also from the hatred I had for myself for putting myself in that situation. My mother helplessly looked at me and said, Peter, we had lived with this thing since before you were born. There is no questioning its intentions, and I promised your father years before that I would never say a word about the debt to anyone. What was I supposed to do? tell Christopher, who I barely knew at that point, oh, my son is claimed by a magical man that follows us around the world. This is the first time my mother had gotten angry at me after telling me the truth. I deserved it. Christopher continued. You were meant to die. You had selfishly wasted your life, but the creature intervened. Your father's debt was not meant to be collected until after both your parents died, but you beat them to the punch. I called you did. <laughs> yeah, I called it. You died before your mother, and the creature refused to accept this, I imagine. So by bringing you back, you yourself mortgaged your own life, Peter, not me. Dr. Megan could have let you die. The creature could have let you die. But you were offered redemption through me, and I knew you wanted it. I wanted you. I'm sorry, Peter, but you actually mortgaged your life. I was only the poor fucker that had to beg for it on your behalf. I had to be the greedy one. In the moment, I had to beg for a life that had been so selfishly thrown away. Suddenly, the entire terrace filled with the same smell, and all of us turned to the right. 
The creature was at the far end, appearing out of nowhere. He looked over at us, put a suitcase down, and opened it. Oh hell yeah! This motherfucker knows oh. how to throw a party. <laughs> he, that guy. Okay, can we just talk about how this demon is like? <laughs> like I could do this sooner, but I'm waiting for the drama. <laughs> like, <laughs> He's very theatrical he, for the he dramatic. Is. Yeah. I was well, that's what say, they say about so Satan, right? Like, Satan has to have a sense of humor with all the sins and shit, right? It's it's true. Yeah, I mean, he's got to, right? I kind of, honestly, I kind of think God has to have a sense of humor, too, if there is one. Just, like, a little bit. Because, I mean, he made us. Like, that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> like, right? Unless we're a mistake anyway. and then he hates us. I mean, that's possible. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Great. I mean, he probably meant for us to turn out a lot better than this, but I don't know. I like to think that he's just vibing up there like, all right, you little fuck-ups, let's see what you get up to next. Yeah, but like, <laughs> yeah, but like, the first two Kanye albums were pretty good. <laughs> you ready to find out what's in the fucking oh, suitcase? Oh, I'm ready to find out what's in the fucking suitcase. You take it away. Part six. Note one. Thank you all so much for your support and caring through all this. It's been of immeasurable help. Note two. Thank you to the last kind stranger who gave my last post of gold and brought more attention to my plight. Note three. Never forget what I went through. Never. So he lives. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> the most blinding ethereal light I had experienced in my life emitted from the inside of the suitcase. I don't know what else I expected. A dead body, a massive amount of blood, my father's corpse. I don't know what, but the light that shone brighter than anything I had ever experienced. I was knocked off my feet flat on my ass, but luckily this time I was able to avoid my head making friends with the cement tiles and maintain consciousness. My eyes adjusted. I looked around. I was still on the terrace, but my mother and my Christopher were not. I scrambled to my feet, my palms were bruised from bracing myself from the fall, and I wiped the flecks of blood that started to pool on the heel of my hand on my pants. I walked over to where the creature was standing, and he was still there. He was still shaped like Christopher, and his lip was still burst. He raised his hand and made the come here gesture with his finger, beckoning me. I ran in the opposite direction, around the corner and back through the door into the condominium. Christopher, Mom, where are you? I was frantic. Had this been the payment that the creature was seeking? Was he just going to take everything that I loved in the world just for the money? My mother's laugh and Christopher's smile was worth more than any amount of money could buy. If they were gone, I could see no reason to live. No reason to continue. A swan dive off of the terrace onto the hot, albeit comforting sidewalk 40 plus stories below would have been the choice I would have opted for. Whee! Why the fuck? <laughs> Why the fuck did one woman need so much space? That was the only thought that echoed in my mind. <laughs> like, me too, though. That, I don't get, like, mansions. It's, they it, just seem it, like they would be empty and sad and scary. I, I have to agree really with scary. having Having lived in an empty mansion for, like, three fucking years, I can tell you for a fact that it is all of those things. I also, like, I, I grew up kind of poor, so I always lived, like, you know, I shared a room with my sister my whole life, and, like, even in my apartment now, I have my own room separate from my partner because I'm, like, weird about space now, but, like, even that sometimes gets, like, creepy and lonely for me. Absolutely. And that's just having, like, my own room. It's, it's, it's partly the person who's alone, and it's partly the, 
the emotions related to the place that you're left in. I, I was, I had been in that house for 12 to, I don't know, 20 years at that point, and when, when it was alone, I found it, uh, rather comforting at times, and then there would be other times where, like, my psyche, you know, it would definitely play around with my own reflection on the house. You know, my, my paranoia definitely gets the better of me sometimes. Um, I'm not trying to make it sound like I grew up in a mansion, because I didn't. I, I spent the first 12 years of my life living mostly in, like, a small townhouse. Um, when my my family's company took off, that's when we moved to a bigger house. I'm gonna say it's like a seven bedroom with a lot of steps. Um, let's let's just say that that's it's not, not quite a mansion, but it's but it's a very large house, and I spent almost two years in that place by myself in one bedroom, and it can definitely get a little eerie. I would have. I would have not enjoyed that. Well, that's so. <laughs> well, that's why I had people over all the time, and that's why I started a podcast. Nice. <laughs> I don't yes. want to be alone. <laughs> I've I've never lived in a place with more than three bedrooms, so yeah. it's yeah, never actually, never, even now. How many siblings do you have? So I don't know. Uh, two. I'm the oldest. See, I have four. Mm. So bedroom, sense, bedroom per child, is, and and then bedroom for parents is what I tend to to do yeah, the so mathematical five. I was about to say so five bedrooms minimum, an extra guest room or two isn't that offensive, right. honestly. Right, right, and that that was the layout. Right. All right. Why the fuck <laughs> did one woman need so much space? That was my only thought that echoed in my mind as I ran through the hallway upon hallway, screaming for both of them. I ran into my mother's room and up the stairs behind her bed to the second floor area that had its own balcony. Maybe I had passed out and she had run to where it was considered to be safe. We had done drills when she first moved in of where she would go if someone broke in and tried to kill her or hold her ransom. And the second floor balcony in her bedroom was always considered the furthest from the main entrance, but nothing. She wasn't there. I couldn't find her anywhere. Christopher and I stayed at the condo while our bedroom was being refinished, so he was intimately acquainted with the place. I ran from bedroom to bedroom, screaming like a madman, almost begging him to emerge, but nothing. I started to run out of breath, snot and phlegm pouring from my mouth and nose respectively. Fuck, why did I smoke so much? Christopher! With the last ounce of strength that I had, I screamed, I bellowed, I begged, but nothing. Just sheer, unadulterated silence. I refused to give up. I ran out the main entrance and down the hallway. I pounded on Miss Thompson Fitch's door, screaming for her. Maybe in a mad dash, Christopher and my mother had run there. Nothing. No answer. No response. The old bitch was a terrible person, <laughs> dripping with jewels and attitude. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but I begged and prayed that she would answer her door. I kept pounding, but I never got the response I was desperately seeking. My mind raced to alternatives. The fire alarm. If I couldn't find my family, I'd throw the whole fucking building in a panic. I raced to where the elevator was and pulled the alarm. Dead silence. 15000 a month in condo fees and the fucking alarm isn't working. This is bullshit. <laughs> I hit the elevator button, but it refused to light up. I was running out of options and fast. I decided that even though my smoker's lungs had failed me while I was running through the apartment, my best bet was to run down the stairs and have one of the valets call the cops. I had tried my hardest to avoid involving the police, since evidently my own family was the source of this newfound misery. 
I bolted for the stairwell and grabbed the handle. All right, wait, 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 seared my wait, wait, wait. At this point, with all of this shit not going, is everyone's gone? Nothing's going the way you expect. Wouldn't you just like turn around and just walk back to the terrace and be like, "Sorry," <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, okay, let's get this over with. <laughs> like, 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 burst lip. Chris is still on the terrace with his like electro suitcase, like sputtering out lightning, and you're just his like, holy suitcase. You're running around like the yeah, the fucking Ark of the Covenant suitcase, and uh, and and you just come like trudging back in like with a bowl of cereal, just like, "Sorry, I was hungry." <laughs> like, like at some point, when when do you stop like running from the inevitable? Because I feel like as as me as this person, I almost like I wouldn't have turned around and run even even when realizing that they were gone and that I'm alone with this person. Like I wouldn't have ran. That's not like like this thing is inevitable. This thing is like super powered. Yeah. Like. I don't know. It has the Ark of the Covenant in its suitcase. In its fucking suitcase. Yeah, honestly, I'd I'd like to agree with you, but I think I would have done the exact same thing. I would have been like, oh shit, oh fuck, oh god, like, uh, like, <laughs> and just bolted. And that's you know and that's why like, I asked because I know that other people work. are right. I know that other people uh, would have had a different reaction than I would have, but like part of me, like as this guy, would have been like, well. That's the entire tale, huh? I guess it's time to, you know, <laughs> throw in the towel. <laughs> <laughs> Face the music. Right. Yeah, see, I would have been like, fuck the music. And then rappelled down the side of the building using a fire hose or some bullshit. Grab a parachute, jump know. off the balcony. Yeah. I would have just been like, no fucking way. Some Tom Cruise <laughs> shit. If I'm going out, it's nobody kills me but me. <laughs> He did say that. He did say that. I've been saying I've been saying that for years and I maintain it. Nobody kills me but me. I like that. <laughs> I act that way in multiplayer games too. <laughs> Grenade. <laughs> I literally I can't even tell you. I'll be playing like a game and I'll be like, well, this isn't looking good. And then I'll just jump off a cliff before whoever's firing at me can get me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Touching the handle seared my hand badly. Fuck! I screamed and looked at my palm. The scrapes from bracing myself from the fall on the terrace were virtually cauterized. No more bleeding, but my hand was badly burned. I took my shirt off and wrapped it around my other hand, hoping this would allow me to turn the knob. I reached for the handle again, less hot but still burning. It refused to turn. The creature was refusing to let me leave. I sat on the ground. I didn't know what other options I had. I had to face him. So yeah, he did. Okay, he gave cool. Up. I picked myself up after a minute or two and headed back to my mother's place. As I entered the condo, I realized that not only were Christopher and my mother missing, but so was everyone else. None of the staff were there. No one was. Sylvie! Astrid! I screamed, but no one answered. I realized that I was truly alone. No one was there. I walked back through the maze of corridors and came up to the wall of windows. I walked outside to the edge of the terrace. I thought about jumping and wanted to ensure that if I did throw myself off, I wouldn't land on someone's balcony. I refused to live in a world without Christopher or my mother. As much of a mama's boy that made me sound like, losing the two people I love the most in this world was too much to handle. I placed my hands on the railing and leaned over. 
The building was a high-rise in Toronto, and I should have seen thousands of cars and people going about their regular lives unaware of the insane happenings transpiring above him. But there was nothing. If my eyes could bulge out of my head, they certainly would have at that point. There were no other people. No one. I looked into the glass facades of buildings that surrounded me, and there was no one. There were living rooms with empty sofas, beds were unmade with no one occupying them, parking lots that were completely empty. There was no one. What kind of limitless power did this thing have? Could I even kill myself? I had no one left in the world that cared about me. There was nothing but the desolation of an empty soul to confront. I refused to go on. It had been less than two days and my life had been whipped, ripped away from me. If you live in a war zone, you cling to your home, your pictures, your loved ones, your affections. You cling to cause. I had no causes left. I propped myself up onto the ledge and sat on the balustrade that ran the entire length of terrace. My feet dangled over. I kicked off one of my shoes to make sure it would fall and it tumbled effortlessly to the ground. I had lost my mind and had no way of regaining it. If this thing could strip away everything I loved just by opening a suitcase, what was worth fighting for? You may want to look inside the suitcase before you decide to do that. It was Christopher's voice. I knew it was the creature, but hearing that voice made me turn around. I hoped beyond all possibility and all reality that when I turned around, my man would be standing there. I slowly turned my head and there he was... Twenty feet behind me, the creature, covered in black, oozing blood. I stared at him over my shoulder, my feet still hanging off the terrace. What do you want? I said in a tone just above the whisper. There was no strength left to scream. The creature advanced towards me and said in that beautiful voice, We want to settle your debts. We brought you back before, and if you think that this can be evened out by simply jumping, you're far less intelligent than the degrees we allowed you to have would insinuate. I chuckled almost silently, allowed me to have. He was right. Everything I had earned and everything that I had accomplished and even everything I had failed at was simply at the behest of this creature and his kind. What are you? How can you do this? Are you a devil? The creature quietly chuckled and advanced even closer to me. I wasn't filled with dread anymore, just an overwhelming sense of resignation. The creature spoke. We are what you humans refer to as fate. We are the hand that guides. We are the power that makes it be. Your world and ours overlap one another like water on a pane of glass. You see right through us, and when the time is right, just when the time is right, we even out the score. We are charged by the universe with the ultimate responsibility of ensuring that an equal, that an equality is struck, that no man, woman, beast is endowed with the ability to achieve more than they are capable of. When you see a father rip off a door to save his child from a burning vehicle, we have allowed that to occur. And in the same vein, when an infant dies from cancer, we are the ones that take that life. 
when you walk across that stage holding that Nobel Prize, we are the ones that have allowed your research to succeed. And in the same vein, when a nuclear missile strikes a city and wipes thousands off the face of the earth in a blink of an eye, we are the force that allows the trigger to activate. I had so many questions. I swung around and sat facing the condo, feet now hanging safely over the terrace floor. Who is we? The creature smiled Chris's smile, but without the lips that I so longed to feel again. There are many of us. However, we operate as one. We do not see the need for division, since efficiency is our tool of choice. We tend to appear in a pleasing form, your father to your mother, your Christopher to you, Dr. Megan to your Christopher. Our only tell is that when we leave our world and enter yours, our intentions are laid bare. I was on the verge of understanding. What do you mean your intentions are laid bare? Is it the smell? The creature continued. Yes, it is the smell. What you smell is not rotting flesh. Though it may appear as such when tested by your human science, we have no need for flesh. But the stench of rotting possibilities. The smell of overwhelming poverty that your parents should have been subjected to, the acrid odor of a life wasted consuming drugs, and the overpowering fragrance of every failure you had ever encountered and undertaken. Christopher smells your death. You smell your wasted life. Your mother smells poverty. The woman at the hotel, I presumed he was referring to the clerk, smells the stench of an affair she wished she never had. Anthony smells the stench of a hidden run that was never reported. Ooh, Anthony. Mm -mm. The child at Tim Hortons wasn't repelled by the creature's smell because she was too young to know the stench of failure, the pungent scent of unfair advantage. She instead focused on his grotesque lip it was making sense. Then why does your lip bleed? It was the only thing about the creature's physical appearance that remained a misery, mystery. Because we pay a price, too. Nothing in existence goes unchecked. And until we remove the imbalances that we are charged to rectify, until we collect all debts, until we ensure payment of all our dues, we suffer the consequences of inequality as well. We rot and fester until the ledger is made balanced, until a fine, delicate, even measured is struck. Why can't you write like us? I had to know. We do not write. We manipulate the fabric of your world to generate the notes and the messages that we send. It allows us to remind you of the evenness, of the urge to rectify without having to visit you. Everyone owes a debt, not only you. I couldn't help but lock eyes with him through this entire period. He was explaining himself, and apparently all I needed to do was ask. 
A physicist's worst nightmare is not asking a question when it is required, and I had confronted that fear head on. But you, or your kind, or whatever the right phrase would be, made the deal with my father, and you made the deal with Christopher for my life. How can you claim to be some great force that brings equality when you yourselves brought about the imbalance in the first place? This was the first time that I had spoken to it with anger. Never overestimate your worth, even if you are tempted by fate. Never take a deal without understanding that you do not deserve an advantage, and not just you, everyone. The creature rattled this off as if he had been asked it many times before. So how do I even the balance? How do I equate the ledger, I ask, no longer filled with fear, but an all-consuming need to bring finality to the situation? Everything you have must be ours. Everything you own must be given back. The creature said in Christopher's calm, soothing voice, Do I die? I asked in an almost childlike fashion. Do you wish to even the score? The creature asked. Do you often ask? I retorted. Do you wish to repay your debts? Do you wish to even the score? The creature asked again, almost in a monotonous tone this time. He could feel the finality of his mission approaching and the balance in the situation being restored. Yes. I had no choice. This was the only answer I could give. If he could empty a city by opening a suitcase, what was left for me? Follow me. The creature commanded. I dismounted the balustrade and walked five feet behind the creature. We turned the corner and there, still shining with the light of a thousand suns, was the suitcase. He pointed at it and nodded his head. As I approached the suitcase, I realized that the light was bearable. My eyes no longer hurt, and the light consumed me instead of simply blinding me. I looked deep inside. It was like looking at a television, a display of sorts. I could see countless other debts, both collected and outstanding. Joseph P. Kennedy, JFK's father, billions overnight, daughter died in a tragic plane accident at 27. A woman who resembled Mrs. Thompson Fitch, endless wealth, won in divorce even though she was unfaithful, cancer by 65, terminal. A bumbling fool of a man who looked like a young version of my father watching a stock ticker bring him closer to unimaginable wealth. Anthony, crying in the car after mowing down a nine-year-old while on vacation in Italy, and a million others. What is this? I asked, absolutely fascinated and mortified. It's what allows us to even the score. You give yourself to us by entering it, and we remove the debt. He calmly said, I have to get into it? There was no longer strength to be surprised or be distraught. If I had to give my life, give everything that I love and everything that I hold dear in order for this debt to be removed, for the world to reach a balance, and for my Christopher to go about living his life even without me, it was what needed to happen. I would no longer have peace in my life. I would no longer have my life if I failed to comply. I set one foot inside and fell through. Cigarettes and old paper. That was the only thing I smelled. My vision was blurry, but slowly cleared. I was sitting at my desk in my office at the university. 
I looked around and everything seemed, well, everything seemed normal. I shot up out of my chair and backed up against the wall. I felt my face, my arms, my legs, my dick, everything. I touched myself everywhere I could. Especially my dick. Is that it? <laughs> Especially my dick. <laughs> All I needed to do was step foot inside of a suitcase and this debt was evened out? Or maybe I had died and this is what the other side of existence felt like. I ran outside of my office and towards the exit of the building. I bolted outside and could feel the hot July sun beating down on my face. I looked at my watch and saw it was 11.30am on July 31st, 2013. I kept running as fast as I could, losing my breath, but still pushing myself. I had to see my family. I had to see my mom. I had to see my Christopher. I darted to my car, hit the auto open button. The beep beep that made when the automatic starter unlocked the door stopped me. The creature. The last few days. It couldn't have been a dream. This is insane. What the hell happened in my life? I entered the car and took a deep breath. No smell. No stench. Maybe all the years of doing drugs did indeed catch up to me, and this was a delayed delusion. The German-accented Siri type assistant that accepted voice commands in the car activated. Hello, Dr. Blockbauer. The weather today is 28 degree. Your estimated time of travel is 30 minutes. Call Christopher! <laughs> I screamed at her. Calling mother. <laughs> Typical, I thought. At least the inaccuracy of that interaction made me believe that this was reality. If I was dreaming, the damn thing would have worked perfectly. The phone was ringing, and Sylvie's comforting voice answered. Hello. Sorry, that's you. <laughs> it's okay. Hello, I got Dr. Blackbauer. Your mother is reading on the terrace. Would you like to speak with her? Reading this early? Oh well, who cares? She was there. She was alive. She w My mind stopped. Everything froze. I slammed on the brakes. Luckily, no one was behind me or I could have caused a serious accident. Sylvie, what did you call me? I asked. Dr. Blockbauer, I'm sorry. Would you prefer Peter? She innocently responded. My wedding ring was gone. Sylvie? Where's Christopher? I was starting to hyperventilate. I didn't know what was happening. Why was she calling me by my maiden name? Where was my ring? I'm sorry, Dr. Blockbauer. I don't know who Christopher is. I stared blankly at the windshield. What was going on? What price did I pay? Dr. Blockbauer? Dr. Blockbauer? Peter? Are you there? Sylvie repeated the question, but I didn't answer. I hung up the phone by clicking on the button on the steering wheel and floored the accelerator. 204 kilometers per hour appeared on the digital readout as I tore down the highway to the house that we shared. I finally slowed down at Yong Street and exited the highway. The light was red at the end of the ramp and I hit the voice-activated assistant button again. Call Christopher, I screamed at her. Calling mother. She replied in her sterile German tone. I hung up the call. I held down the home button on my iPhone and the famous deets of Siri sounded. Call Christopher, I said. I don't see Christopher in your address book. Should I look for locations by that name? Was the only thing that she said. The light turned green. 
I tore through the streets of Toronto, laws be damned, and turned onto my street. I had to swerve to miss the twelve-year-old blonde on her bicycle. As my house drew near, I could see the garage door was opening. Christopher must be home, this relieved me. I turned a hard right into the driveway and froze. There, in the middle of my garage, was the suitcase, tattered, worn, but no smell. I didn't smell the creature. Nothing. I ran into the house. It was different. The decor was the same, but the pictures on the wall featured me and my friends doing things I didn't remember at all. Me with Sonia at a fashion show, myself with Bing running the Boston Marathon, Samantha and I having lunch in Paris, but that was it. No pictures of Christopher and I. Nothing. I started to pant, to gasp. <clears throat> I was losing my mind. No, 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 not again, please, not again. I didn't want to go through this again. I thought that it was finished. I ran into the garage and the suitcase was gone. I ran back into the house unbelievably hoping to see the creature to ask what was going on, but nothing. I ran up to the bedroom we had shared, only my clothing was in the closet. Nothing of Christopher's was there. He wasn't there. Christopher hadn't been there. Ever. Where both our degrees hung, only hung my string of degrees set in the middle instead of at the top of the wall. No room for his. I ran into the living room and pulled what should have been our wedding album off the shelf. Inside, instead of the cream-colored leather font, it was red plastic. The Seychelles, the potential adoption, the trips to Venice, the love, the fucking love. What did I do? I flipped open the album again, just pictures of me, my friends, pictures of me and men I didn't recognize, pictures of me kissing the occasional man, and more pictures of my friends. Nothing of Christopher. I flipped to the last page, only one word. I dropped the album to the ground and collapsed, weeping. Collected. And that's it. Wow, that goes to show that um, that was sad. <laughs> what? I was about to say I don't feel scared anymore, but I do you're, feel depressed. You're sad. Yeah, no, that's that's <laughs> yeah, a sad, sad ending. That's a sad ending. That's not that's a, a that's not a scary ending. That's sad. a that's a saying that sometimes your life is only worth living because of the uh, the connections you make or the the love that you share. You know, like. It's it's a very introspective uh -huh. ending. It's it's saying that when you take away your parts of yourself and what you're willing to sacrifice, you know, what else do you have left and, you know, that immediately falls onto the people you love and the people you care about. Exactly. And that and I know that's tough. I know like for me that is that's exactly why I am alive. Like I 100% believe that I'm alive oh, because of my we are on, with other people. We are on the same frequency when it comes to that shit. Yeah. Quite literally I owe I my even... life to to two or three other people. Um mm -hmm. it's it's unfortunate but like I don't even know. Part of me is like if this were to happen to me and I'd wake up without that person in my life, I personally don't even know if I'd want to continue living that life without that person, no, you know? Same. Like, I was about to say, I I feel like he's going to, like, end it all. Like, <laughs> I just don't. I know for me, like, there's a couple of people that if they were missing from my life, and especially if I knew they were missing. If you knew they were that's oh the worst my part. God. That's the worst part. Is yeah. it's, it's not that he was just mm -hmm. given his life back. It's kind of, it's fucked up. Like, it, the, the, the Twilight Zone twist of this story is unfair. Because fate. Yeah. Because if fate removed someone from your life, then you shouldn't remember they were there. You know, like, that's, yeah, that's, really. that's haunting. 
That's like what you yeah. just did was a supernatural thing, and that's not what fate does. Fate doesn't act supernatural. Fate fate doesn't act like a petty bitch that didn't call her back after you went on a date and you and you you said yeah. something like, Oh, I promise to call, I promise to call. Fate doesn't like show up at your house two weeks later going, <laughs> you never called. Like that that doesn't happen. So like No. So for him so for him to take for me Chris to, like, and then be like, but you still remember Chris is just super fucking douchey, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it kind of feels like a dick move. It's like, <laughs> I I guess I guess because I guess the way that it what I'm getting from this is that the way that fate measures value is by importance to the person, right? So the dad only cared about money. And they gave him the money, but then when it came to pass, he cared more about his son. He, they were coming so they to were take, gonna his take son. the son, right? right. Exactly, because that would pay it back, right? But also, like, I don't by their logic, I don't think it works, because like, like P- Peter himself said that Chris was worth more to him than literally anything in the world. So theoretically, they're taking back more than they lent. You know what I mean? But you have to think about the literal things that Peter did with his life once he was brought back from the drug overdose. Like, he went on to clean himself up, get a Nobel Prize, become, like, a world-renowned physicist. Like, I don't don't know. Like, it's subjective. Like, worth is subjective, in my opinion. Like, I don't care if you're fucking Einstein and you change the world with quantum mechanics and and people go on to, like, give you stickers and tell you how important you are. That does not make you more important to me over someone that I've known my entire life and loved. You know? Like, the way that they are looking at fate is a very... It's a very, like... It's kind of cut and dry. It's very objective. It's objective. It's black and white. It's saying that like, oh, um, like let's, let's go through the contract. Like you were on the right page with that. Like the dad wagered his son to have a good life and then he had a good life, Mm -hmm. but then the dad died. So the son was never able to be taken from the dad while the dad was alive. So they said, okay, whatever, you know, we'll, we'll introduce ourselves to the mother and we'll, we'll get the same thing out of that. And it'll be, you know, we'll double down on this kid being worth mm-hmm. their fortune, you know, and that, and that falls back on the whole like argument of like, is a life worth money? You know, like I don't even want to get yeah. into that. Um, and I mean, even, even so though, it's like, I still feel like they're kind of, well, I guess then if you're really going to go a very literal route with it, I mean, most debt is collected with interest. So I guess exactly. it makes sense that they would take something Exactly, though. Exactly. Because I think, like, when you really get into it, I think the meat of this comes down to what Chris did. I think it comes down to... Yeah. I think it comes down to you have a dead body in front of you. Um, mm-hmm. A nurse walks in and pretty much says, we can bring him back. But, you know, like... At some point, like, you know, because you're the one asking, like, this is going to come back on you. And, like... Yeah. And, like, he didn't understand that, and essentially mm-hmm. he traded his life in that moment. So, like, when, See, when Peter came back... that's my other question. Like... Yeah. Is he just gone? Is Chris erased from existence? Or is he simply out of Peter's life? 
that's what I I'm also not sure about that. I don't think he's because, dead because like I don't think he's dead because they didn't they didn't. I so don't mu- think he's like, dead either. Like it's not it's not like he didn't exist. I think it's I think it's purely the fact that they took him out of Peter's life simply because of the arrangement. Like it's Peter's life that came back, but at the loss of mm-hmm. of Chris's involvement in it. And I think that's that's His all the presence, more sadder. Right? Like like. Now, at that time where Chris realize or where Peter realizes that Chris isn't there, maybe if you were to look him up, he'd realize that like Chris died in an accident, you know, seven years prior or yeah, something like that. That's I, true. That I could see being like the uh, the end to the argument, you know, the life for mm-hmm. a life type of thing. But right. But I do think like this story kind Sorry. of. Um, it kind of lowballs you with how it explains its own logic. It it doesn't it doesn't yeah. ever back you into one single corner. It kind of leaves everything up to interpretation. And like I like that, but it's also super frustrating because the ending is super frustrating. The ending is just like I know. Like you're alive and you and have I... your life, but like <laughs> you don't have love anymore. Sorry. Like like something about that doesn't actually measure up to me. Like something about that doesn't It's kind of It's not fair. And I mean, I know <laughs> It's just proving read, that like, fate is I know we read <laughs> I know we read like fucked up shit, so it's like stupid to like, you know, hope for like, you know, happiness or something at the end, but like uh, I'm kind of, I'm going back to the, like, bury your gaze thing, and I'm like, okay, I need to look at this objectively, because it is a creepypasta, and those don't, you know, theoretically have good endings. Right. So from that lens, it's like, okay, but then it feels, like, almost more fucked up. You know oh, what I mean? Oh, because uh, that's it's not what like I'm they arguing. died. I'm arguing that it's more fucked up. I'm saying... I feel like it is more fucked up. It's like... So I'm kind of like, okay, I was super stoked to read a story about, like, you know, some gay people, and now, like, they've had, like, oh my god, holy shit. Literally, literally (laughs) the opposite of what you wanted happened. You were like, I'm so ready for, like, a gay couple to, like, finally, like, have a story together, and it's like, it's like, literally the twist of the story is, remember that, remember that gay couple who had a fun story together? It didn't happen anymore. (laughs) Blocked. It's, no, it's true, and especially, like, So I'm kind of torn between trying to be, like, you know, fair and be like, okay, well, it's like, you know, a creepy horror, blah, 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 and those usually end badly. But, I mean, the last one we read, like, those two bitches are still alive. Yeah. Right? Yeah, they were. Fucking Faye and what's-his-face, whatever he called himself. I don't even know. Those little fuckers are still alive. They're still together. I'm just saying. (laughs) I feel just throwing it out there. So, uh, so I just, I just saw something at the bottom of this story and, and oh my God, I, I see the co-author was Mike Pence. (laughs) It's like, like no gays can exist. No gays can be together. No gays can have happiness and love. Nope. No. Sorry. I was, uh, like, granted, I do, I did, I, you know, I'm gonna hop back, because, like, I'm, I'm a little salty. I'm not gonna Oh, lie. I'm real salty. I'm I, I wanna, I wanna prelude the salt by saying I love this story. <laughs> I wanna prelude yes, the salt by great. saying it was very well written. It was pretty, I would it say, was. I would say for some of part two, the pacing got away from itself, but, like, for the most part, yeah. I did enjoy the story thoroughly. I actually think, um... Yeah. 
I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'll give a shout out to one of my favorite movies of all time, um, Vanilla Sky. I felt a lot of um, similarities between this and the film Vanilla Sky because um, Vanilla Sky's entire story, basically, I, I'm sorry, Cannibal, have you seen Vanilla Sky? No. I highly recommend it. I'll try, Never. I'll try not to give too much away, but basically um, a guy realizes he's in his own lucid dream. And it starts to Ooh, become a lucid okay. nightmare. And it's of, of the emotional variety, not of the like of psychological variety. It's a Cameron Crowe flick, so it's meant to be about feelings and love and emotion. So he realizes gotcha. that the, the, big, the big hump, the big climax, the big twist, the sadness, the big sad that comes at the end is by saying, oh, you've lived your entire life as a hopeless romantic. Well, remember that woman you loved? She doesn't exist that doesn't that that never happened that never happened and and the ending is all the more (laughs) sad because you're just like oh penelope cruz you're so perfect and and now he's so heartbroken without you and you're just like oh fuck so 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 much of me got got the same emotion out of watching something like vanilla sky one of my favorite movies of all time right and then watching this and yeah, just that having that having that love just like sapped out of your life it's just like it's it's all it's too much i think it also just it, yeah it taps into like you know that is like i know for me it's like we were just talking about it. it's like one of those deep like dark horrible fears because i know like I don't know, maybe it's just because I have a mental illness, but, you know, I fucking, you know, I sit around sometimes and I'm like, you know what would be really fun? Let's think of hypothetical horror scenarios that are literally never going to happen. But if they (laughs) did, what would you do? And now you're going to feel bad about it. And this is like one of those times where I'm like, yeah, what would my life be like if I had never met the love of my life? Yeah. Probably really sad, huh? (laughs) And then I just make myself depressed over it. And this like reads like the ending of this is literally like me lying in my bed staring at my fucking nasty ass popcorn ceiling which definitely has asbestos in it side note (laughs) if i die i will be suing if i get mesothelioma i'll be entitled to financial compensation (laughs) i can appreciate and (laughs) and i'll like you know i'll be laying in bed and i'm like hmm what if my partner never existed and then i'll just like cry i'll be like <laughs> like he just you, rolled you just, over in like the middle hurt. of the night and he's just like what is going yeah. on <laughs> he's like, exactly he's like dude can you really it's true though or i'll be sitting there and i'll be like what if you could only save your mom or your sister which one would you pick and i'm like why am i doing this no. to myself literally that's never gonna happen what's wrong with you brain <laughs> And then I'm like, <laughs> and I'm all sad and shit. This is exactly that. <laughs> it really is. It really is exactly that. It's uh, it's the it's the dickheaded hypotheticals you tell yourself when you're at your most vulnerable in the middle of the night. And yep. And all and you, you feel is the big sleep. sad, <laughs> and the sleep will not. Yep. Take and you. the big sad is just like breathing down your neck, drooling on you a little bit. Hey, remember what it feels like to be paranoid? Let's do that. And, uh... Let's do it. And I don't. And I don't. And I don't. So, you know... It's like... It's like, hey, remember every awful monster you've ever seen? What if they were all in your room right now? Right here. 
and they're all breathing on you. Oh. <laughs> and then you're like, that's not real, brain. Let's relax. And it's like, okay. It would be now the love of your life is fake. I was gonna say it'd be <laughs> like... really nice to see all of my ex girlfriends again. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> got him <laughs> oh yeah but that's the thing about love wow. is love love teaches lessons i think and even even the failed Absolutely. you know loves that i've had i don't regret because they've taught me things about myself and about my life and about my values and about the things mm-hmm. that i care about so you know like i can't even say that like you know i've run this hypothetical in my head before like i mm-hmm. i would argue that my there is there is one relationship in my life that that curved me in suffered such a direction that I would be a different person if that hadn't happened. And like I'm gonna right. go ahead and say like I wouldn't have known you if if I hadn't been in that mer- that relationship because it curved me huh. off of college and then made me come back to college a couple years later. So like if I if that relationship hadn't been successful, I would have stayed in college and probably graduated with a different degree. So fate is just a right. very it's a very interesting thing and it's just like well I can assume you know he's he's picking up all these photo albums, he's looking at all the things on his wall and he's now measuring his life what it has been without Chris and all he's mm-hmm. doing is thinking about Chris and he's trying to measure up both of those and like it doesn't sound like his life had changed much he still no. he still traveled he met a lot of people he you know he mm-hmm. he he still had his degrees if if anything he had more so you know if anything fate is just saying like fuck you you can't be happy <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say, but that's what's even sad. It's like all of those. I mean, he's got he literally his entire life has nothing wrong. You know what I mean? He obviously has friends. He's got a great relationship with his mom. He's got money. He's got a good job that he loves. He's won a fucking he's won a billion awards. He's got 8000 degrees. There is literally nothing wrong with his life. If anything, he has objectively one of the best kinds of lives that you can have under fucking falling crumbling capitalism like the he only, literally well, has the only made. way to make him safer in his own life is to make him a straight white male but uh exactly but anyway that's that's just that's that that's just a bad joke so like ultimately <laughs> but it's also true though <laughs> it's it's one of those things where it's like honestly if this if this story wanted to like punch me more what it really should have done is gone back to like he should have woken up like dying on the gurney in the hospital like 10 years uh-huh. prior with Christopher there like holding his hands like that's how the story should yeah. have ended for me i would have i would have much rather this this weight come back onto peter as a person because he's the one who yeah he's the one who put chris in that position to remove chris from peter's yeah. life is just like well what did that do to Chris? You know, like where is Chris and yeah, all of it kind this? Of hurts, like, like it kind of hurts both of them, right? And that doesn't seem fair, does it? Fate, does it? No, no, because well, it's also like the weird thing it did with Chris too is that it like it kind of made it clear that Chris was just like the proxy who like made the deal, but really like if Peter had been conscious, he would have done the same thing is kind of like the implication yeah it is so i'm still i'm just kind of like i i just again with the whole balances thing i'm struggling to see how that balances 
You know what I mean? I agree. I think it that's doesn't my just hurt Peter. I think I'm on the same wavelength because I'm I'm not I'm like not okay with the ending, but I am okay with the I ending. I did not love it. Like <laughs> like I'm okay with the ending because it hurt and I think ultimately a a no sleep or creepy pasta or like you know story to tell alone. Like I think I think ultimately to make them horror means that it has to hurt in some way. So it's like, okay, yeah. like lesson learned. Don't fuck around with fate. Like, I guess. Right. Whereas the, I kind of thought they were going to go the kid route and try to like shove it off on their kid. Oh, like a Rumpelstiltskin. Like, okay, well you can't yeah. have us. What about if we gave you another life? Well, I don't exactly. think that's fair because they can't like necessarily have a child. Yeah, exactly. Because then it, it comes because then well, it, I mean, because then know, it sucks surrogacy. for the surrogate mother more than it sucks for the the gay couple. <laughs> anyway, it's true. I think like, but ultimately, it's like the it falls back on the uh, I don't know the the right brain hopeless romantic side where it's just like yeah, it's like listen, you know, your your life your life was yours to live, but you know, like. You know, if you still want to be living, then we're going to have to take away what's most important to you. Sorry. And it's like, I don't know. It's just big old dick punch. Quite literally. Yeah, it really is. It punched my heart in the dick. Quite literally big old (laughs) dick punch. Big old dick punch the story. It really did. But I still liked it. It did. It it punched me in the dick. I did. I liked it. I think the end just... I mean, the end would sting for me anyway, because it really does, like, hit me in one of those places where it does hurt the most. So I can kind of, like, recognize that. I'm also... I don't know. It's, again, it's hard for me because on one hand, I'm always like, fuck me, I'm so tired of seeing sad gays. Like, I'm already a sad gay. I don't need to see more. I already know what that's like. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then, of course, I also, like you said, I need to, I do recognize that this is, you know, a fucking no sleep. Like, it's the whole point of it is that it's supposed to ruin your life. You know what I mean? So it's, I'm just, I'm definitely going to have to grapple with that on my own before I can, I I don't think I'm ever going to come to a conclusion, honestly. I think I'm just going to be like, I hate it. But it's justified, but I hate it. I think <laughs> I think it's trying to give us the message our parents give us, like, every day since we were born. Like, life isn't fair. Like, fight. Like, f- yeah. fate isn't fair. Like, he, he almost kind of says it as much in his dialogue. Like, hey, uh, you know, we stop, we stop a car from, uh, from hitting a kid, but we're the same people who have to drop a bomb on a city and kill millions of people. Like... He's yeah. kind of telling you right then and there, like, what he does is not clean. Like, what he does does not make a measurable amount of sense. Like, it's just mm. it's just what is dictated, you know? Like, ultimately, mm-hmm. ultimately, life isn't fair. And that's kind of just the message I'm getting. Like, like sorry, you know, but you're still alive. You still got your life. But, like, oh, uh, man, you don't got that big L. But at what cost... You don't have the yeah. big L. Lesbians. Oof. So we uh, <laughs> we read uh, we read a story here today, and I'm gonna I'm also gonna grapple with it for a while. Um, I'm I'd be mm-hmm. interested uh, to have you back sooner rather than later to see <laughs> to see how you've been thinking about it. Just to be like, yeah, no, I still don't like that at all. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I was about to say, you know me too well, because I'm going to come back in, like, you know, however long, whether it's two weeks, a month, whatever, and I'll be like, yeah, no, I still hate it. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't my husband who slept next to me last night. No, it definitely wasn't, because I don't remember who my husband was anymore. He oh, never fuck. he never existed. It wasn't fuck my you. husband who slept next to me last night, because I don't have a fucking husband. <laughs> I'm going to die alone. <laughs> Have an excellent evening. Getting to see, <laughs> getting to see you like leaning on your microphone with like anger in your eyes was just—it was everything worth hearing that. Oh, uh, so this. When do I not have anger in my eyes? It's very. <laughs> it's very true. So this episode, episode one hundred and seventy-six here with Cannibal Siren. Uh, we we read uh, a fun no sleep story that I don't know like. Could this could this have gone in a million other directions? Absolutely. Did it go in the direction mm. it did? Absolutely. Am I like whether we liked it or not? <laughs> am I am I mad? No. <laughs> I'm a little mad. I'm a little mad. I'm a little mad. I'm a little a little um, mad. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, the story did what it did, and it got us to feel. It got us to feel, and that's it and that's why feel. we are felt. So, uh, mm. yep. And it punched our hearts in the dick. <laughs> that's, that's the one. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so hopefully, uh, next time we'll have Cannibal Siren back for, uh, a story that doesn't punch our hearts in the dick. Uh, this. Yeah, I think I just want some good old fashioned, like, <laughs> that bitch is dead. Oh shit. She was just in my car. <laughs> Like, dude, where's my car? Except it's a ghost. Right. <laughs> Except I don't know. Ooh. Something stupid. I was to say, didn't we read that already? <laughs> um, anyway, this... Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, uh, I, I think if there's one thing that I'm going to end the episode on to take away from this is, uh, something that you said earlier and something that I've lived with my entire life, which is, no one dictates my life but me. Uh, when fate shows up with Nobody a Nobody kills. <laughs> when fate shows up with a suitcase and opens it up to show you God's light, you chuck him the bird, you light a joint, and you jump <laughs> off of your fucking patio. You plummet 40 feet because down no- into cement. Because <laughs> no one takes my life but me. Nobody kills me but me. That's it. <laughs> Even my heart. No one takes my love but I do. The reason I'm not in a relationship is because I ruin them for myself. Haha! <laughs> <laughs> Nobody loves Joke's me. Jokes on you, me fuckers. Uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I wait till the days end. Atlanta till we stand at the shore. At the shore.